0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang is gathered together. This is the Matt Townsend Show where we try to give you the latest, the greatest information, whatever we can to give you a leg up in life. Because life ain't easy. And today, of course, uh, no exception, the day after the tragic shooting. um, Really crazy, unbelievable episode yesterday. Actually, two nights ago in Las Vegas. Uh, And 59, again, 59 people have been killed. And a lot of stories are now coming out about the heroes of the day. And that's one thing I really want to make sure we, we focus on are the heroes. We, a lot of people are asking why, and this seems to be one of those universal issues that there will never be an answer to. Everyone will immediately reach back in their quiver and grab the issue of uh, their favorite issue to bring up, whether it's gun control or you know freedom to have guns or um, you know mental health. I mean, there's a million things that are here. And I I really, truly believe that uh, we say it a million times on this show. I swear we say it all the time. This is an episode where we can get together as a country. Pretty much everybody, I think, really, and we're hearing it from all over the globe, has some feeling and some emotional sense of disbelief about this event. So let's use it. Let's find a way to make, make our world better simply because of what's going on. You hear of the long lines uh, in Las Vegas for people trying to give blood, which is so symbolic because there's really very little else they can do. Right. right? What else can you do? <laughs> so we'll be talking uh, about the heroes of um, this tragic event. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South and uh, find out what else we should be paying attention to, Terry.
4: One of the one of the other stories, obviously with Las Vegas, is uh, the guy, the, the shooter. So, 59 people dead, 527 injured. There's the total at the moment. Who knows if that number moves? 23 firearms were, and a handgun were found in the shooter's hotel. Rifles equipped with scopes. Uh, multiple fire. He used multiple rifles during the attack. So, possibly the pause that people heard was him reaching for another weapon. Uh, law enforcement officials confirmed the number of rifles in the suite, along with hundreds of round, rounds of ammunition. Two rifles outfitted with scopes set up on tripods in front of two big windows. Um, AR-15, the, the weapon of, of choice apparently in these types of attacks, they were found in amongst the, the uh, number of rifles there. The sheriff there in Las Vegas says that the... Uh, the shooter brought at least ten suitcases into the hotel room over a period of time. People were wondering how you get that many firearms. through yeah, one a by one. I guess. Big hotel. He, yeah. You can break them down into you know separate parts and bring them in in the suitcases. Uh, he fired through the hotel door at security guards at one point, striking one in the leg. The guard is still alive. SWAT teams went in after he fired at the guard. Oh, wow! So you had him shooting through the door plus the fire alarm. So which is probably, I guess why it took an hour or more to get him. Uh, Police retrieved 19 firearms, as well as explosives, um, more rounds of ammunition, and what they're calling electronic devices from his home in Mesquite, Nevada. Oh. So. Uh, Electronic device like a laptop? They have no idea. All the the police says was electronic devices, and they're investigating what they are. So (laughs) we'll see. Like an electrolysis
3: machine to remove air?
4: Wow, weird. No. So. 42 guns. You're looking at 23 or so in the hotel, 19 in his house, 42 guns. People think, you know, that's a little extreme. Well, I found this today. 2015 survey by Harvard and Northeastern research researchers. It's pretty average for the 7.7 million US gun owner, owners in the country collectively own 130 million guns. Hold on, how many? 7.7 million. Own oh, no, 100. 130 million guns. uh oh Average 16.8 guns per gun owner. Wow. So Why that's you not everybody. Need guns. But, yeah. Well,
3: I mean, there's a gun for every outfit.
5: You have one in each room of your home. Well, that two, is, I guess that'd be two
3: for every room in your home. Unbelievable. So just I found the numbers. Staggering. But again, if if you don't if you're not into guns, maybe we don't understand that. I don't like know. some people I mean, I guess you need a handgun, your wife needs a handgun, your wife will need a shotgun to go hunting, you'll need a shotgun. Jim Bob will need a shotgun, Billy Bob will need a shotgun. We'll all need shotguns. Need one to go get the paper. Then you need a long rifle, then you need a everyone needs an AR.
4: Do you? I don't know. Really? That's, that's, that's one of the bigger questions is you watch the videos, people are on a street in Las Vegas, yeah. and you hear automatic gunfire. Ugh. That probably shouldn't happen. No, it sounds like Fallujah, right? It sounds like something you'd hear in the middle of a war zone. But uh, again, tragic. where's that going to go? San Juan Mayor Carmen Yulín Cruz is not on the, listed on President Trump's schedule of his five and a half hour visit uh, today. He already took off in Air Force One for Puerto Rico. He's going to visit the uh, island after the uh, two publicly criticized each other. According to the itinerary released Monday evening by the White House, the president and first lady Melania Trump will travel to San Juan, the capital, to receive a briefing about the relief efforts uh, from uh, Hurricane Maria. Let's see. Trump's expected to visit individuals impacted by Hurricane Maria. The president is scheduled to meet with the governor of Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, for a briefing with senior military personnel, the storm is the most powerful day at Puerto Rico in nearly a century. 95% of the island's 3.4 million residents are still without power. People in the countryside have limited access to food and fresh water. About 10% of households are expected to have electricity in the next two weeks. Wow.
3: You know, you're, you're the president, you're the most powerful person in the world. Yeah. Don't fight with a mayor. <laughs> you know what i mean you have people yeah. to do that yeah. like don't fight with the mayor let yeah. everyone else fight with the mayor just don't fight with the mayor
4: you're you're the man Matt, it's common sense <laughs> but i'm not sure if it really applies now he's not gonna go i guess to the
3: biggest city i mean how do you go to the biggest city isn't san juan the biggest city yeah so you're gonna you're not you're gonna go to the biggest city but you're not gonna meet with the number one person in charge of moving all of the fema goods
4: hmm. well he's gonna talk to the governor the governor can talk to the mayor. Okay. See, now we're getting somewhere. Just chain the command there. Okay. The CIA has reportedly denied a request by the Senate Judiciary Committee to view some of the agency's information about Russian election interference. Senator Dianne Feinstein told reporters Monday that she and Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley had asked the CIA Director Mike Pompeo last week for access to materials on the agency's investigation into Kremlin interference in the 2016 presidential election. Some of the materials have already been seen by congressional investigators were turned down Feinstein said before adding that the issue isn't finished. So it seems like there's a uh, conflict between Congress and the Hold CIA. Our, our Congress? Yeah. Okay. Try and her. our CIA? Yeah. But I want to share information right now. Yeah. And she let us know. Tom Petty. Ah, uh, yeah. This he was passed a... away overnight. CBS News uh, reported more like, I think it was about noon, maybe four o'clock, something like that, that he had passed. Yeah. He hadn't passed. He, hadn't passed. he was on life support. Yeah, and now he is passed.
3: You jumped they jumped the gun.
4: Yeah, but I mean, everyone got it, got out there and got their hope and prayers. And yeah. all, that, all those tweets out of the way. That Tom Petty really helped. So, so yeah, Tom Petty, dead at age sixty six. Listened to uh, Free Fallen as I was preparing the news this morning. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, yeah. Is that why? Because when I walked up, you were wiping a tear. I, I was jamming. It was okay. Oh, I thought you were crying. No, okay. And finally, I'll need the sound here, Jeff. Uh, just go ahead and play the sound. Tell me what this is.
6: Uh-huh.
4: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's when Jeff walks in every morning with the squeaky shoes. He's got his squeaky shoes on. This made me laugh. What is that Sam? Poor little boy got a rather nasty surprise after accidentally inhaling a whistle from a party horn. No way. The, a video shows the eight-year-old unnamed boy from Argentina was posted by his doctor. It shows him honking. Every time he <laughs> breathes in. Oh, there he so is. So now, now play, that, play that again. Now, think, it this is a little boy inhaling. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> His respirations seem <laughs> the The video videos posted on our Twitter feed. Is, it made me laugh. The boy's doctor posted the video to raise awareness about the toy's safety and the risks children are exposed to. Um, he just looks completely exasperated. They're yeah, like, what do you do? Cause they're like, okay, do it again. He's all, okay. <laughs> Honk. Mm. So thankfully they were able to remove that. He doesn't continue to make that sound. I did check multiple places trying to find out, is this fake? Yeah, is it? No. I could not, not find it. No, you can see that happening. So, if anyone sees anything different, just put it, just let us know on Twitter. But it's still quite funny. The video's funny. The kid's just sitting there, has this look of like, man, again. Because you know they've been having him do that for the last hour. Oh, yeah. Do Come on. Again. Can you, do it again.
5: You never swallowed a, a horn
3: before? Little squeaker toy? Mm, no. I once swallowed a maraca. Oh. ooh! I actually couldn't breathe, so they had to do CPR and the maraca flew out. Is that why there were fiestas all around you? Mm-hmm. That's why, yeah, everyone thought, like, I had some Tic Tacs in my pocket. But nope, it's a maraca. It's, um, it, that is the parent's worst nightmare. Yeah. But, you know, what's great is, like, at least you knew where the toy went, right? <laughs> so it's not like,
4: where's the toy? But I would first confirm, make sure everything's okay. Yeah. Do and then you, make the kid do it as many times as possible, because that's that's pretty funny. Well, it's obviously wedged perfectly
5: in oh, his, right. in his in throat. his throat, yeah. <laughs> So, for my kids, you know, they haven't luckily swallowed anything like that. But if you want to know where my five-year-old is, just listen for the singing. If you want to know where my three-year-old is, just listen to the running.
3: Oh, really? She's always running. Is she really? Yeah. Maybe she'll be a sprinter. Maybe. Maybe. Or a felon running from police. How could you tell your kids were nearby? Well, you know what? The last night we had a really magical moment. Uh, we put oh. all of our kids on an app where we can now track everything they do and everywhere they go. Aha! Uh-huh. And interestingly, the oldest uh, teen, Ager, didn't want to do it. Well, that's
5: not
4: too surprising.
3: He's like, why? Why do we need to... How old is he? 17, oh, 18, yeah. almost 18. Why do we need to start tracking now? I mean, like you guys haven't tracked forever. Why track now?
4: Yeah, what do you care now, Dad?
3: I'm just like, well, because, you know, it's just time to know where you are. What else is great is if you want to pay a little money on this app, you can actually see how fast they drive. Mm. You can see if they speed. Ooh, what's the name of the app? Uh, I'll have to tell you. Let me pull it up here. Oh, by the way, Josh just left the house. Childleash.com. So my son— um, Does it give you a text when they leave? Uh-huh, if Come I on. want it to. It's called life Three Sixty. <laughs> Oh, Life 360. So everyone it's in my family lame. is on it, and it has a little map. It's just like go, to, what is it, like find, find my iPhone, except it's kind of more user-friendly. Yeah. And it's, uh, so my— my. Does it play a sound so you can find your kid? Yeah. Okay. If I, if I want it to. Uh, my one son is at middle school. My other two high school kids apparently aren't at school yet. Huh. Maybe their phones
4: are just there. Yeah, I mean, no. you you have their phones. You I don't can even them. tell how
3: much, what percentage of she,
4: phone battery is left. For accuracy, you need to tag your children. It seems like it would phones. be pretty That's easy true. to <laughs> fool yeah. the system. Just do an ear clip. If I could do it, if I could like do a
3: tag on my kid, yeah, yeah, but they don't like Why needles. Would, I would
5: pay. I would pay a friend five bucks. Take my <laughs> phone to school today, so I can sleep in.
3: Would you really? They just toss it in their backpack. Dad's no wiser. My they wife, just, we even, my that. wife's even. We're tracking her. She's do, at do, home. Do they equally get to track you? Yeah, and oh, they right. all know that I'm at BYU broadcasting. Oh wow! Or are you? Well, yeah, because I'm on the radio. Oh yeah, mm. they would know that just by <laughs> listening to the show. So uh, that's how I know. Na- so, because my kids never, you know, they never had weird honks or or rattles or whistles,
4: and they don't run and they don't sing. Really? I mean, a few of them do, but. But now they have a gross invasion of privacy. Well, now what we're doing is... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Who pays for the phones? We do. I do. Go ahead. This isn't an invasion of privacy. You're just tracking
3: your property. That's all that is. I just want to make sure I don't lose that $700 phone. Not to be rude, but that's pretty much what matters here. Um, Anyway, it's going to work great. It's going to work. And now all of a sudden when one son comes home early for
4: lunch mm. or is sloughing what are you doing
3: i know they're sloughing
4: where are you cutting class mm-hmm. i'm not dad I, i'm in i'm in english mm, mm-hmm. i don't think so yeah you never called it ditching you call it sloughing yeah
3: hmm. and maybe that's a utah term maybe sloughing so cool. the
5: only the only thing that's left is uh, maybe you can get the internal camera on the phone to no i don't want to track no, no. all of their no you don't want to mm.
4: okay
3: no it just turns on they look at their phone dad what what are you doing, Dad? What are
4: you doing? I'm looking at you.
3: Anyway, it's, uh, it's a great app, and um, you know, it's just another
4: great way to get your kids used to uh, when they get that ankle bracelet. So does it have sort of a Find My Phone feature? Yeah. So if you lose it, you can play a, you can, a tone or something. You can find, Yeah, and you can track it. By the way, have you ever heard of my Find My iPad story? No.
3: This is the greatest day of my life. Well, oh. uh, after all my children and my wedding, of course. Oh, okay, right. Oh, yeah. um, lost my iPad. Mm. Apparently, I left it on top of my car, and I drove away.
6: <gasps>
3: and apparently, it fell in the middle of a road. See, I thought that was every parent's nightmare. And you know what's weird about all this all this technology is? I never buy it. I kind of get it through speeches that I do and mm. trade and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come so, on. So I bragging. I, I had a free. Yes. I, I had a free iPad basically, and it was my brand new baby. Oh. And I was I used to rock it to sleep, mm. cuddle it, put it on my car, drove away, lost it and I was devastated. And then I went and did a speech, lost it, couldn't oh, I was so mad. Oh, I was so mad. And uh we told my son, and my son at the time was like 14. And he's like, "Well, it has it has track your iPhone or whatever it's called." Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, "It does?" And he's like, "Yeah, let's just turn that on." And he turned it on, and he said, "Oh yeah, it's on I-15 <laughs> heading northbound." <laughs> And I'm like, what? It's in the median. And then we pulled it up on my phone and we tracked my iPad to an area. And then we sent a message to it saying, hey, you found my iPad. Please call me at this number. Not sure if the felon. Right. The theft. The <laughs> felon. I don't know what we're going to. Yeah, it was a theft. It, he stole it because I didn't know how I lost it exactly. Hmm. He, and then, someone found
4: it on the side of the road. They found it in the middle of the road. On oh, the middle of the road. So is it really a felony? Or well, is I didn't it know. Your fault? See,
3: I didn't know at that point. Okay. I'm like, I don't know where it went. Okay. And then he said, "Oh yeah, I've got it. I live right by you. Oh, he's in my neighborhood. Oh, wow. Nice. He just walked it over. Which means he goes to my church. Oh, well, general, you know. He yeah, yeah. Goes yeah. to my church building. Sure. You know what? And we found it, and we gave him twenty five dollars as a as a gift, and he wouldn't take it.
4: See, I, I, I wow. use it three, four times a week because my wife misplaces the phone or the iPad. Or Do you whatever. really? Yeah, it's just in the house. I go, yeah. where's your phone? I don't know. <sighs> Hold
5: on. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. You know, because if that was your baby and you left it on the, the hood of your car, yeah. how many times have we left oh. our, our actual babies on the hood of the Who car? Who
3: hasn't
4: left a baby? like Or, or dogs. Uh-huh.
3: Or like left in the stroller at Costco. Presidential
4: candidates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone does it.
3: People are so picky today. You make one mistake, leaving your kid in the stroller, and they'll never get over it. And then you'll be in therapy for years. Oh, it's tough, folks. So tough. Uh, we've got a great show coming up. We're going to be talking about um, college admissions. It's it's getting harder and harder to get into college. Are there ways that we could learn from other uh, other universities and other educational programs in china they have some interesting insight that might actually benefit us here in the united states to make sure everybody can get into the schools they want to stick with us that's straight ahead helping you be the good in the world this is the matt townsend Show. Fall marks the beginning of the college application season for our our you know 18-year-olds and those just graduating or about to graduate from high school. Many students get into the college of their choice, and many do not. The reality is that students both in China and in the United States don't get into the universities of their choice because of a broken system. All of these students have the same question. Is there a better way? to apply and to make sure everybody gets into the universities they'd like to get into, you know, based on having the right grades, the right uh, scores. Here to speak with us today is Yan Chen, a professor in the School of Information at the University of Michigan. Yan, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
3: Now, it's funny that we we go to China to to learn some best practices for uh, for our students to be able to get into the universities that, that they want what what is it that we could learn from uh, the Chinese admission system and, and that uh, that might help us here in the United States uh,
0: China has a very different system compared to the United States it's called a centralized matching system so um, each year about 10 million high school graduates take um, an exam a standardized test together. So it usually happens uh, at the beginning of June. So it's a two day exam covering about five to six subjects. And based on your exam score, everyone's ranked. Um, and then the, uh, each province use, uses a different algorithm. So you're ranked, let's say, in um, Guangdong province. Um and let's say if there are 200,000 kids, uh, high school graduates applying for colleges, then the, uh, the, the computer algorithm runs through the exam scores and your, uh, rank order list, how you rank the universities, then decide who goes where. Um, so the U.S. system is decentralized in the sense that you every student applies for a number of colleges, and each college makes its own decision. Mm. There uh, in China, it, it is centralized, and the reason for the centralization. So China used to have uh, a decentralized system as well until the nineteen fifties, and the uh, the Ministry of Education found that uh, there's a co- there was a coordination problem. In the sense that some students, the good students, got admitted into multiple systems, uh, multiple universities, and they can only go to one, whereas some students don't get into any. So, um, and in the fall, you know, some universities found that, okay, only half of the students we admitted actually came, or only a quarter. So there was an experimentation where three regional alliances says, why don't we centralize the process uh, so students only have to take one exam and mm. they go through this one admissions process. Um, it is not as multidimensional as the U.S. system.
3: What's the – because uh, when I look at this, Jan, I look at – and I and I think, I guess because it isn't so um, – because it isn't so unified, and and every university has their own way of doing it. I, I guess the problem is that there's a lot of other factors that get involved, the politics of it, um, and and maybe just kind of some of the randomness where you're saying a more centralized system would allow it to be, you know, kind of you'd actually get more people that really are trying to get into certain universities into those universities.
0: Uh, yes. So the more the centralized system, such as the one used in China, is more predictable in the sense that if you know your exam score, um, you pretty much know which type of universities you can get into. Um, and after everyone takes the exam, they're also ranked in a city or in a province. Uh, so I know that I'm ranked in the top. Five percentile or top 10, um, top 30 and then I um, basically apply for universities accordingly because I know the minimum admission score from each of the universities in the past several years. Hmm. So I can extrapolate and predict you know what 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 the minimum admission score is going to be like. I know the quota. I know um, let's say Beijing University has a hundred positions for my province. Um, and so, so I can, I can decide how to apply that way. Hmm.
3: It seems like, um, um so it's
0: oh, more predictable, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. In the United States too. I mean, just the, the mere fact that in China, if you can get 10 million students to take a standardized test that takes two days, that that and it, that seems incredible a eh? but but in the united states we have people taking the sat the psat the act uh, and it kind of just depends on every university wanting a different standard or a different test why do you think it is in the united states we haven't created a standardized unified approach um i
0: probably the universities want more autonomy in the admissions process. Um, In the U.S., the universities are not as hierarchical as they are in China. Um, So because of this standardized test, I mean, the downside, the drawback of the standardized test is that, you know, in the last year of high school, you basically just prepare for it. Um, So my son just went through the college admissions process in the U.S., two years ago so I saw how it happened you know the the ACT or the SAT uh, yes you prepare for it but it's not all you do
6: mm-hmm.
3: let's do this let's uh, take a break but when you think about it and I'm going through it right now with my kids I have a son that just uh, you know he's got some great leadership experience and somehow he just made it to be a manager on the dance company and uh, <laughs> which blew my mind and but again in my mind i think oh that's great that's great leadership experience and then he helped start a bowling club and i'm like that's great you don't even bowl but let's that's great and you know all of these different opportunities it's just a weird system when you think about it we it's a ranking pro- process we we sit down and try to just get our kids you know in the in the system and hopefully that'll make them the greatest person in the world but There's got to be more to it, folks. And then maybe there's a way that we can do it in a better uh, way that might allow us to get the kids into the schools they want to get into, you know, depending on if they have the grades or not. Um, We'll continue the discussion. Up next, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about college admissions and some of, the, some of the methods that are used in the United States as well as in China and some ideas from China that might actually help us in our American system to make sure that children and our, the, the teenagers that are trying to get into college that, that meet the requirements for certain universities, that we can get more of them into the universities that they want to get to. Instead of it being a really kind of closed, difficult system, there might be a, way, a better way to do this. And to help walk us through it is uh, Dr. Yan Chen, who is a professor at the University of Michigan um, and is is helping us understand some of the research that she's been doing on academic um, uh, uh, what's it called, admission processes. Uh, Jan, thank you so much uh, for being with us. You were talking about, before we lost you, you were talking about the fact that you're going through this process right now with your son who's applying to college.
0: Uh, yes, he actually did the process two years ago, so um, so I, I sort of have fairly recent experience of uh, what's it like here in, in the U.S. Um, and uh, I think in terms of predictability, um, the U.S. system is much less predictable uh, because each university has its own admissions policies, and they're not necessarily transparent.
1: Would would do um, you think if we do? You,
3: would we get more kids going to university and staying, in, you know, and getting their degrees? Do you think if it was more predictable?
0: Um, yes, I think so because um, then um, each student can decide which, you know, among thousands of universities, which one he or she should apply to and is likely to get in. Yeah. Um, So I think that ideally the counselors should be able to provide that guidance, but uh, um, in in a typical public school, I think that's actually unrealistic.
3: Yeah. Well, especially Um, because all of a sudden you apply to five schools and you have to apply five different ways. I mean, it seems like so it's so much more complicated. This one wants three essays and it's going to weigh everything differently. Um, Plus, on top of it, as I'm seeing with my kids, there's all of this extracurricular um, activity and and how do those get weighed and and what do you see going on in China? And do they actually allow all these other extracurricular things to move the algorithm of who gets accepted where?
0: So, uh, yes, they are considered only for the exceptional achievements. Um, so you actually get points added to your uh, college admission score. So yeah. let's say, you know, you take six subjects and the full score is 600 points. Um, if you um, if you win a gold medal, let's say, in the national, you know, computer algorithm test contest, then you can get up to 10, sometimes 20 points added, depending on the prestige of mm. the test. Uh, and so for students who have won, let's say, a uh, national piano contest or an international um, violin contest, uh, these gets trans- transferred into scores added to your, um, your college entrance exam scores. So, uh, so again, they are considered, and the rules are very clear, so everyone knows what kind of achievements translate into how many points in the score. And uh, also affirmative actions are also folded into the college entrance exam score. So if you're an, a member of an ethnic minority, you can get up to 20 points added to your um, exam score. So. After all of these extracurricular um, and affirmative action scores are added, you then enter the um, algorithm with your new score. Hmm.
3: Is it – do you – it just seems like it is so complicated in the United States. Do you see that, uh, that we're willing to make changes to this or is just the autonomy and the desire of each university to kind of have it their own way just too strong?
0: Um, I tend to think that the autonomy of the universities are, are too strong to have a centralized system. Um, although some of the components in the admissions process, such as the SAT or the ACT scores, can be more informative. So, so if they put more weight on the on the standardized test scores, then it's going to be a little closer to. Uh, the Chinese system and more predictable hmm. uh right now we as parents or 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 high school graduates we just don 't know um you know how much weight each of these components
3: yeah that 's it we um, don't know the, yeah we don 't know the their system. system yeah
0: yeah, yeah,
3: and it 's confusing, um, so, especially if you 're applying to four or five colleges
0: right, right, so the common app makes it a little easier, but you know. Places like MIT has its own essays so yeah so uh, yeah. Um, so, so I, I think it is more unpredictable here, and um, you know China's not the only country using the centralized admission system, so Germany has uh, a, a college admission system very much like um, the Chinese system, and also in Turkey um, there's a centralized system Mm-hmm.
3: What would you? What advice do you give as we wrap this up to you know parents and to those kids that are applying to increase the likelihood that they can get into the schools in the in the United States using the decentralized system that we have?
0: Well, I would say to get more information. Um, so from the university, so when the representatives visit, you know, definitely go make an appointment and talk to them. And I uh, make the best of the campus visit opportunities. Uh, so when you go visit the campus, uh, it would be, you know, you might not get an appointment, but it would be a good a good idea to make an appointment with the admissions officer for your district, for your region, you know, let's say the admissions officer for the Midwest, you know, for the state of Michigan or Utah, um, and uh, have coffee and, and find out what, how are different components weighted in the admissions process in that university and by that admissions officer. And also talk to, you know, uh, friends and friends' friends that you know who have been admitted into that university and talk with them about their application strategies. I think. You know, given that each university has a different strategy, definitely use your social network to get more information.
7: Absolutely.
3: And that uh, network is going to be the thing that may just be the key to getting in, it seems like, to some of these universities. We appreciate you, Dr. Yan Chen. Thank you for your insight into uh, the college acceptance process and uh, what's going on in China. Again, 10 million people taking a standardized test. Over two days in order to get your ranking to get into college. Thank heavens that, uh, man, I'm done with, I'm so done with school. I can't, the, it makes my stomach turn thinking about my kids applying. Yeah. Ooh. And it's, you know, it's
5: more difficult than when it was when we were going to school. Oh, yeah. You know, but I shouldn't put myself in your class because you went well, many, 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 yeah, I just, many years I had before more. Me. I
3: had more to prove. I see. You were already, you know, together. You already had the educate. You grew up with your brothers. <laughs> I was street smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't have one brother to beat me up. Um, so, did you like? I couldn't. In my, when I graduated from high school, I couldn't get into the university I wanted to get into because I wasn't. I didn't have good enough grades. You know, I
5: will admit that I'm one of those students that really didn't think all that far ahead, didn't really take the time to sit down with the counselors, yeah. plan things out ahead of time. Uh, so I, I went to a junior college at first. I could have gone to a local university, but I sat down with their counselors, and they couldn't tell me the difference between taking uh, – general education classes from their university versus taking them at the junior college. Yeah. So I was like, "Hmm, huh? I think I'll go to this junior college and pay 11 dollars a credit instead, and I can use those cl- uh, those uh courses will transfer to the to the university I ultimately yeah. want to go to." And you made it happen, which was Brigham Young University. Now, I will say I did not take my junior college experience seriously. Why? Uh, because it was right out of high school. Well, but does anybody
3: take their first year seriously?
5: I don't know. See, again, I didn't plan. Yeah, yeah. And I, that was too much power for me to go from knowing where you have to be every day at a certain time. If you're not there, you're in trouble to, eh, if you don't want to go to class,
3: you don't have to. Oh. Not good for me. Yeah, that, Yeah. That wasn't good. I I was in a reverse situation because I didn't know I was going to go to college because nobody in my family, I mean, one of my sisters had. So I didn't know we do that. And then I had a friend, actually, a a father from church came and told me, no, dude, you're going to college. Of course you're going to college. Good for him. And I'm like, I am, but I didn't have the grades. So then I went to a really small community. It was a university. No, it was a college. And, uh, Changed my life. It actually got me into public speaking. I realized, man, college is about doing what you like and what you're good at. So that's why it's different than high school. Started getting good grades. And And wow. uh, then, you know, the rest is history. That's And then the Matt Townsend
5: show. So <laughs> we've been talking college admissions. Yeah. And I thought I would make some admissions Uh-oh. about college. Okay. So, uh... I dropped out of a course, and I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'll admit that I dropped out of my college bowling class. Really? Yeah. Too much pressure? I, I guess so. I'm not sure why. You dropped out. You just but couldn't... this was during my junior college years, or year. Yeah. I, 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 You know what? I wouldn't tell people that. Also, during my junior college year, cheated on a psychology test, how? But I will say, it was condoned by the professor. He, he was okay. He if could he tell. Cheated. He could look out uh, among all the students and see that people were cheating, and he would just say, "All right, now be quiet when you're cheating on your tests."
3: He <laughs> he could care less. It was a junior college. Well, but it, it, still, it's you can't cheat. Cheaters never prosper. Grandma said. Yeah. I've got one more. I don't even have anything to admit. Really? No. I had a very boring college life, I guess. So
5: I went to class one day, listening to some Queen, rocking it out. Yeah. yeah. I get into my class, and uh, I hear this music that's being—it's kind of muffled, and it's—it's it's starting to disrupt other students. In fact, this one girl stood up and. Turned around and said, "Whoever is playing that music needs to stop right now. I can't concentrate." And I was looking around, thinking, like, man, man, come on, "Why isn't church. this person getting the the clue?" Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I hear "Fat bottom Girls" oh, start. Yeah. That's my favorite song. <laughs> and I realize, "Oh, maybe that's, that's my <laughs> maybe that's my music playing." So I kind of. You know, stealthily turned it off. Not so Without stealthy. drawing Everybody any attention you to me. It you. Yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. But I was thinking the same thing. Man, this is rude. And I was also thinking, this girl might be overreacting a little bit.
3: Is that when they, that's when they kicked you out of JUCO? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was at BYU, actually. Oh, it was? Yeah. Oh. See, I never did that. I never would answer questions until I was in grad school. Really? Yeah, because I was intimidated. Hmm. Then in grad school, I blossomed, turned into a man. I taught here at BYU in in the master's program of journalism, and I was going to be the next Tom Brokaw. And then for one year straight, I had to talk to everybody about makeup and hair. (laughs) And I then realized, no, I'm just a beautician. Yeah. Because there's more to journalism than makeup and hair. Come on! I want to make a college admission
5: on my wife's behalf. No, I
3: think you're missing the point of admissions. No,
5: I think this is very healthy and it's therapeutic. So I want to get this out. Okay, for your wife. Your for wife. my wife's sake. I took her out on our first date. We had a wonderful time. Surprised, We surprised each other how well of a time we had. Yeah. So I drop her off at her front door. Come to find out later that immediately after I left... She got taken out on another date that by a friend of mine.
3: Ah, uh, that's a sad story.
5: I was not happy about it. No,
3: I don't blame you. Wow, sorry, sorry, your wife. But I think we
5: all know how that one ended.
3: <laughs> yep. Ah, <sighs> regret. What? Huh? Who? Anywho. Uh, A little college admission for you. The wrong kind of college admissions, but college admissions nonetheless. Up next, we'll be uh, learning ways to reconnect your family from one of our great producers, Leanna Tan. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Nothing better than, uh, you know, a chance to reconnect with your family. Maybe you go to a family reunion. Maybe you just see cousins from your long lost past. Well, our own Leanna Tan had a chance this summer to reconnect with her family and came up with five ways that you can now, anytime you're in the situation, can reconnect to those old family members.
8: Out of all the exotic and foreign places I was able to go this summer and everything I saw and everyone I met... I think probably my favorite part of it all was going to Grandma's house. It may sound surprising, but it was a great way to end the summer festivities. And it was such a drastic difference from the big, bustling city of New York and the hot, chaotic refugee camp to just hop on a long bus ride to the countryside of Vermont and spend time with some family I hadn't ever really taken the time to get to know before. So, after a couple of self-reflecting and memorable weeks, I've come back to tell you 5 Ways to Reconnect with Your Family Number 1. Initiate Wholesome Recreational Activities I feel like my cousins and I were able to bond on a different level when we set to work planting dozens of trees in their old backyard and painting an old trailer. We learned about each other's strengths, weaknesses, and hidden talents while we were at it. And we were able to work as a team. Well, mostly they just saw how pathetic I was with a shovel and helped me dig holes while I avoided the swarms of mosquitoes. But I love the moments when we all chatted and roasted marshmallows during our bonfire on Grandma's beach, or when we visited the neighbor's farm and watched them milk cows and feed the chickens, or when we took a sunset bike ride through the fields to the gas station to pick up potatoes and corn for dinner. There's nothing that'll draw you closer to your family than letting them see you sweat and wheeze up a hill on your uncle's old bike. Number two, play games. This is a great one, because you can play games pretty much wherever you are, and it doesn't have to cost money. I learned to play a new card game with my grandma called Cribbage. And it saved us from some lonely times, like when the power went out for five hours. She plays innocent, but my grandma puts up a tough fight. I think I managed to beat her once, though, one of the proudest moments of my life. But you don't have to have cards or a cribbage board to play games with the family. I really enjoyed skipping rocks with my cousins and grandma and playing word games in our car on our drives, mostly because I like making people guess what I'm thinking about. Number three, eating food. Simple, but so powerful. This is probably my favorite way of reconnecting. There is such a power in picking out food, cooking it, and sitting down to eat it together. It's an easy way to gather people and engage in an activity that's fun for everyone. I loved picking out green beans with my grandma in her garden, making cookies with her, eating her classic potato and ham soup, and tailgating with my cousin. In all my endeavors reconnecting with my family, I discovered a lot of Vermont's edible gems, like donuts made out of cider, fresh corn on the cob, maple syrup in its purest form, and size small ice cream cones bigger than the largest cones I saw in all of Manhattan. Number four, be interested in their interests. I learned so many things about my family and opened my mind to new aspects of the world just by doing things they love to do. My uncle took me up to the top of the old attic to show me his collection of vintage bicycles. My cousin drove me to his little farm so I could meet the pigs and sheep and goats he raised. And my grandma invited me to the Methodist church where I sang new hymns and prayed in new ways and met wonderful new people. And while you're learning about other people's interests, you always discover new things. Like we found a toad under a log while we were doing yard work and some gorgeous vintage hats when we stopped in an antique shop. Listening and caring about what others care about expands your horizons, and you just might discover something about yourself that you never knew before. Number five, talk. It's one thing to do fun things with your family and the people around you, but it's the conversations you have while you're at it that make the difference. I felt like I reconnected not only with my grandma, but with my parents and my grandparents and ancestors I hadn't even met before when I spent hours with my grandma just looking through old photo albums and hearing stories. The times I felt the closest with my relatives was during our long conversations on the road, driving and looking at scenery, or chatting on the patio over some hot oatmeal breakfast or cold cucumber sandwiches for lunch. So, I guess after a summer of glitz, glam, and adventuring, I realized that it wasn't the grand buildings or the posh restaurants or the exotic scenery that made the biggest impact. It was the small moments, just chatting and laughing And being with the people that mattered most in my life that really made a difference. Sometimes we go off searching for greatness and purpose and adventure, when really, the greatest fulfillment comes from just connecting and reconnecting with the people in our lives. It's been great reminiscing on an amazing summer, and I hope you all learned a few things these past few months too. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent.
0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend.
1: Now.
0: On BYU
2: Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang is gathered to help you get a leg up in life. This is the program where we help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. The way we do it, we give you the latest and greatest research and uh, hopefully try to you know help you learn. Because life isn't easy, and when we get thrown a curveball like we, we did uh, just yesterday with the Las Vegas shootings, how do you make sense of any of it? Well, you actually, you probably don't. And you'll notice everybody's going to now pick up their favorite stick and start swinging it. Whether you're pro gun or against anti gun, the reality is there were a lot of heroes made yesterday. And uh, if you, I don't know if you heard about it, the off duty nurse that, that, you know, was running for her life and gets a few blocks away and then realizes, hold it. This is what I do. And then she ran back into the mayhem and craziness and then started offering support. Or the two roommates that were there just to go to a country western um, concert and Crystal Goddard was uh, there. um, And um, when Stephen Paddock started shooting, uh, Goddard and her friend Amy McCaslin then are standing by the stage when some guy was shot. They didn't know. A stranger. And they sat there and just held him telling him it'll be okay, it'll be okay, as the poor man bled out and died. Mm. So heroes were made, and uh, I guess we can look at it a million different ways, but that is what humanity looks like. Humanity is not just uh, the crazy chaos of the shooter and his obvious problems, but uh, the real humanity was seen more on the ground as I think hundreds and hundreds of people were stepping up and doing what they could to help others through it. And then some also just were doing everything they could to save their life. It doesn't make them any less valuable. They were just trying to stay alive. And it also, I think, taught a lot of us uh, how fragile life is. And maybe some of the things we fight about here on this earth aren't worth the fight. Um, anyway, tragedy and uh, many, many incredible lessons Um Anyway, uh, a husband saving a nurse, protecting uh, or protecting his wife that was a surgeon. He also died. So many stories that uh, we'll be sharing with you throughout the, the three-hour show we've got. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? What's the, What else should we be paying attention to today?
4: Las Vegas Sheriff Joe Lombardo admitted he was at a loss for how a 64-year-old shooter, Stephen Paddock, could even have been stopped prior to the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. Uh, that happened on Sunday night. He said in a press conference Monday morning, he goes, I can't get into the mind of a psychopath. He goes, he snuck 10 suitcases into his hotel room over uh, a four-day yeah. period. How it, many it guns 20, total? They're saying 23. Uh, the last report I saw was 23 different rifles well, and, and some and on a couple of with,
3: uh, with scopes, scopes and ready I mean, to go. And yeah. A hammer to knock out the windows. And if you heard
4: his brother talking, he's like he—he's a real estate yeah. investor and he likes to gamble. That's what I mean. They—they they, they said he didn't belong to any organizations. He didn't yeah. see his brother as a as a gun enthusi- enthusiast. Yeah, he in didn't any even way. know he
3: had this many guns.
4: And here you have this guy. Obviously, had a problem with somebody. Right. You don't—you don't do that if you're happy, right? I mean, so, yeah.
3: <laughs> there's issues, isn't there? So there's
4: there's bigger things here and that's what you find when you look into his computers and see what he was doing and planning cuz this took a lot of effort, a lot oh, yeah. of thought
3: and 3 days of bringing guns up right. to his
5: room, well, setting and everything, up, all
3: those guns too. Which by the way, the 3 days I guess correlates with 3 days of this festival. Yeah. So he knew apparently the entire time. Apparently, even I don't know if he asked for the room where he had the room. But
4: I saw where you know, people are asking the, uh, the 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 company that put on the concert is called Live Nation. It also put on the Ariana Grande concert in France, I think it was. Oh, they had the, really? the attack there. So they're looking at their procedures, but they're like, This has nothing to do with our procedures. We can screen everyone walking into the venue you want, but if a guy gets in a building yeah. across the street, how are we yeah. supposed to stop that? All right. Now now I guess you just have to have your concert out in the desert. I guess. That's why Burning Man is yeah. out there. Maybe that's a thing. <sighs> so yeah, lots of questions gonna continue to be asked and uh I don't know if any answers is going to be found. So. New documents turned over to federal investigators reveal two previously unreported contacts between the Trump Organization and associate, associates and Russian leaders during the 2016 campaign. Washington Post reported Monday, in one incident, Michael Cohen, President Trump's personal attorney and business associate, exchanged emails with a Russian real estate developer about attending an economic conference in Russia just weeks before the Republican National Convention. Mm. A uh, Russian billionaire said... So, just more contact that goes unreported, and they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, here's a couple more." Uh, but you know, uh, and then you, get, you just remember that other one. Oh, and, and, then and then
3: there was the one with Putin,
4: Ivanka and Jared. They revealed they had yet another email account with the hundreds of emails dealing with White House business that they previously didn't disclose. There, what at what point
3: do they say, "Yeah, these are no longer accidents," right? Like, I mean, there's a point. I mean, yeah. you, you get like three. See, now, do do overs. Remember when you'd play
4: games out in the yard? Do over. Okay, right. do over.
3: That no. was a bad. Oh, that pitch. one didn't count. That yeah. didn't
4: count. This had to do with a a, a Trump Moscow project. They're building. They were trying to build a a hotel or a high rise or something yeah. in Moscow. And so the lawyer was trying to get in contact with certain finan- people with financial connections to try to make this deal happen. Yeah. Problem is your guy is running for president of the United States, and these things need to be disclosed. And they just kind of held on to that one, saying, we've never contacted anyone. And the, right. the lawyer worked for the campaign. He was the guy that went on TV, and um, he said, uh, oh, what did he say? You know, He looked at the reporter and goes, says who? It's that guy. Oh. Says who? That guy. That's the guy who's <laughs> talking with the Russian financiers to try right. to get a building built during the campaign. You talk to Russians. Says who? Says
3: who? <laughs> The Russians said that.
4: So Ooh. yeah, it just keeps coming out. Now, is this anything? I no. don't know. But it's like the fourth thing that isn't anything. No, but fifth who, thing. who
3: hasn't who hasn't
4: forgotten a conversation with a Russian? My I've,
5: point exactly. I've forgotten so many conversations I had with Russians. I know. It was different, though. You, by the
3: way, he's got a lot of splaining to do. He does. He lived in Russia for two years. I think we have a spy
4: on our hands <laughs> totally. right Totally. Approximately uh, 145.5 million Equifax customers may have been affected by the company's data breach. 2.5 million more than previously reported. Equifax came out yesterday and said, by the way, remember that number? Add another 2.5 million to that. That's who was affected. Trust us. Which... And honestly, if you're listening, there's a good chance you were. The interim CEO uh, directed the... He goes, I advised Sunday that the analyst of the numbers of consumers uh, potentially impacted by the cybersecurity incident has been complete, and I directed that the results be promptly released. So they looked at it, updated their numbers, and that was the interim CEO. The previous CEO is actually going to be uh, testifying before Congress today. Really? As to what they did, why they did it, and... uh, all that good stuff. Well, you know so. what's great? Congress is on it. <clears throat> so we can it'll all fix. relax. Yeah, it'll <laughs> fix it. It'll fix it. Yeah. Uh, U.S. officials say the Trump administration is preparing to ask Cuba to reduce the staff of its embassy in Washington, D.C. by 60%. This in re- retaliation for the alleged sonic attack on our diplomats that caused hearing loss, some, some brain damage, well, some so issues of that nature. Th- is that, how is that punitive?
3: Like, how... Because... Okay, then we're we're going to release sixty percent of
4: ours. Okay, yeah, what we, we, well, whatever we, you got to <laughs> do. We've pulled our staff. Well, yeah, but from ours Cuba, but some of ours were damaged. Yes, well, like, those were damaged, and they pulled some others, and now we're asking them to take a bunch of theirs out. Oh, we we're asking them. Yeah, I thought they were rid- saying of, they would no, take them out of DC. Okay, we don't need your people here if you're going to attack our people. Yeah, so that happened. Also, um, going you, back to the old days of Cuba, have you ever wanted to wear I don't know. Taco Bell themed clothing? Never. Really? I mean, a wrapper here and there. Really? You want to wear one of those? Well, just after I ate. Okay. Want, yeah. Okay. Well, apparently Taco Bell in the uh, the clothing uh, store uh, Forever Twenty One, which I know you shop at quite a bit. Yeah, man. just this morning, I was yeah. waiting mm-hmm. in line. Get your bedazzled jeans or anything whatever anything to call feel them. younger. Uh, they're going to start selling Taco Bell themed clothing, uh, Taco Bell themed clothing line. Taco Bell. So you can get your T-shirts, you get your jackets, your hoodies, those mm. types of things. It says the whole line will feature some of the most beloved fast food chain's finest graphics. Really? Do you, do you find any graphics at a fast food chain beloved? <laughs> no. I, just, I love the writing of this. Think of a, a hoodie in pale pink with the Live Moss logo stamped across the front. Now, rather than wearing your heart on your sleeve, you can wear your crunchy taco instead. But then it says underneath the Taco Bell? Well, right here you see the person wearing the pink sweater, and that's a little logo. It just oh, says Live and it's Moss. actually got no. So I don't know if you I remember. Like the, I like the phrase "Live Moss," right? But this you'll have like the Taco Bell like like hot sauce no, packet on it. No, the, no. Back in oh. March,
5: there was this couple that I think she made her dress out of Taco or yeah, her wedding rappers. dress out of Taco Bell wrappers, mm-hmm. and uh, they hot? had a Taco Bell wedding. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. We have audio from that if you want to play it later too. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Didn't he used to call her the Big Chalupa? <laughs>
4: I better not. Gordita. My little (laughs) (laughs) little Gordita. Chief of marketing for Taco Bell says, we often think of Taco Bell as the fast fashion of food. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who who thinks that? This was the chief marketing officer for Taco Bell. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it goes, so when it came to our first ever retail collaboration, we knew our partner had to be the leader in actual fast fashion. Hmm. Okay. To be clear, the company's Las Vegas flagship store has been selling Talk about branded items for quite a while now, but now the clothing line will go ma- to the mainstream market. Now here's the tie-in for you, Matt. Okay, yeah, yeah. Get yourself your 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 Taco Chalupa whatever T-shirt. Yeah. And then you take a picture of it, and then you need to tweet it to, or, or put it on Instagram or whatever to the hashtag F twenty one X Taco Bell okay okay then they they it will personify your love of the brands because you love brands, oh, I'm a total brand lover yeah the 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 devotees who submit their best photos will get to see their imagery incorporated into the runway show on October eleventh in Los Angeles runway show oh, please. Yeah. so you'll have a fashion show to show off the chalupa line of sweatshirts. <laughs> Do you like my chalupa line? you know this uh,
3: uh, this is marketing. Oh <laughs> Yeah. Because bad marketing. they're even actually trying to make you believe you really want to go to a fashion show and model their chalupa line. Right. No.
4: No? Nobody does. You think that's going too far? Yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs> Get a life.
4: Stick with your fast food? You're okay? I mean,
3: I, okay, here's the deal. Hmm. If you want to give me a lifetime supply of Taco Bell food, okay. I'll wear your clothes all right bring me the clothes free yeah give give, me free food I'll wear your t-shirt all day long right but don't ask me to wear it and pay for it and come on that's just ridiculous yeah it it really and I love Taco Bell don't get me wrong but this is something Taco Time would never do Taco Time would never stoop this low Taco Time is not going to try to get me to
4: wear you know a t-shirt I love the the extent of the marketing we, we we think that we're a, a fast fashion food a fast food fashion brand whatever they call it. Yeah, th- th- there are there there might be
6: like
3: because what they're talking about is like downtown Las Vegas where you, you go to the M and M store right. and you go to all of these stores, but when you're in there, you still know you're being marketed to, oh, and sure. you know a bag of M and Ms there is going to cost seven dollars more than anywhere else. Exactly. Yeah, but they're different. Not really. They may have your name on it.
6: Mm-hmm. If they're more expensive,
5: they taste better. Really? You savor the
3: flavor. Hmm. I don't buy it. You don't buy it? Not buying it. Well, you don't
4: buy it, period, but then don't you're buy not it, buying period. it and I'm on not, principle.
3: But there might be certain people that when they go to Vegas, they're like, we've got to go get a taco, mm-hmm. live, <laughs> hoodie, <laughs> t-shirt. Or t-shirt. Hoodie. Or How much is it, Gladys? $400. Buy it! It's a bar... We could do that or we could actually go have lunch at Taco Bell. I'd go do lunch. For about a year. Yeah, for 400 bucks. Again, not to disparage Taco Bell. It's one of my
4: favorites. I'm just not going to wear their apparel. I don't know. I want a hot sauce shirt. You are a hot sauce shirt. That's what I was trying to say. Maybe a hot
5: hot sauce
3: dispensing shirt. That's different. (sighs) What would that be? Don't ask. So um, one of the things that we like to do on the show is give you some empty news. Empty meaning Matt Townsend news. A lot of people always think we mean like vacuous, nothing in it news. Mainly because you're always using that disclaimer. Yeah. But we're not saying that. We're saying this is empty news. So let's get to our empty news headlines with Jeff Simpson. The Empty News Team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts.
5: Okay, so we do have a couple of creepy clown stories, but I think we'll get to one of them because we also have a big Bigfoot story that we definitely want. Yeah, to get we to. want to
3: we want to alert people to Bigfoot. So uh, you're a doctor. Yes, I am, but not that kind
5: of doctor. You help a lot of parents, a lot of children. Yes. So how would you help this parent? Okay. An Ohio man has been charged after chasing his six-year-old daughter around a neighborhood while wearing a clown mask. And another man is charged for firing a gun. So <laughs> he's scaring his six-year-old daughter with a clown mask.
3: Brilliant. Okay. What's he thinking?
5: Police say the girl first jumped into a stranger's car and then ran into a stranger's apartment while screaming that a clown was chasing her in a, board, uh, a Boardman Township on Saturday night. Holy cow Police say a man in the apartment building came outside and fired a gunshot into the ground The father (laughs) told police he chased his daughter to discipline her for behavioral issues instead of spanking her
3: Okay, so he didn't want to strike her So let's instead have her run out in fear and get in the car with a stranger? Yeah Or get in, I mean, do everything you're not supposed to do So what's better, striking your child or striking fear in them? Or, you know, having that father
5: <laughs> never be able to discipline his children again. Yeah. So he's charged with child endangering
3: and inducing panic. Not to mention, he's really making this woman, this young girl, I mean, not like clowns. Yeah. Clowns are so naturally lovable. <sighs> And, and he's, yet he's ruining
5: that. And yet that's pretty much almost everybody's number one fear is clowns.
3: I know. But it's even worse when it's because parents chase you with a clown costume. Yeah. That, parents. Parents. Scarred for life. Yeah, totally. Anyway,
5: so now on to the Bigfoot story. Okay. I know you love a Yeti, your good Yeti story. Oh, I haven't. I haven't had a good Yeti story for weeks. <laughs> So this is in North Carolina, okay? Okay. This woman is making some pretty big claims. Mm. Uh, She is a wife and a mother, and she's home-brewed a spray that she says can attract any Bigfoot within a half a mile. Really? It'll
3: attract?
5: Yes. A Bigfoot? I don't know why you would want to attract a Bigfoot, this big monster that could crush you. Is this called Dracar? (laughs)
6: okay just check so
5: she sells it at seven dollars a bottle seven dollars and it's the environmentally friendly bigfoot juice that doubles as a bug spray there you go so there's some added
3: value there yeah, yeah
5: so it repels bugs but it attracts
3: bigfoot well i don't know which i'd rather have it's a good question a mosquito Or Bigfoot, you know, (laughs) rubbing on you. That's weird. So she created it at her kitchen
5: table. How do you know it works? She asked, laughing. That's a tough question. I guess I could ask you, how do you know it doesn't work?
3: I don't agree with that logic. No. Well, how do you know it doesn't work? Well, No, how do you know it does? Well, how would you, why would you think it doesn't? It sounds like something that your kid would say to you. Yeah. Well, because it just sounds senseless and dumb, and I don't even know if they've found a Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Of course they have. I have the musk right here.
5: Well, she might have some evidence to prove that it works. She's done some field tests, (laughs) and they include a recent outing by the research group Bigfoot 911. Oh, yeah. In which a Bigfoot sighting was reported. Sure. It happened the first week of August in the woods of McDowell County, and the report made national news. Don't you remember this story? No. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) I think that's enough to say it can attract a Bigfoot," says Webb.
3: To attract, uh, hold she, on, did she use did she use the musk to sh- get Bigfoot into that area? They did field tests. Field tests, Matt. So here's what yeah, they, did they do? Field test in that area where Bigfoot showed up is what I'm saying. I mean, because they could say it a field sounds- tests. And then there, anyway, it sounds like it, so she
5: says to attract a bigfoot, you need a smell that is woodsy enough <laughs> to keep from scaring him off, mm-hmm. but slightly different enough to make him curious and come to
3: investigate oh boy, I don't know I think it's I think she's I think she's walking into some weird territory. I think this is going to confuse especially people in our audience, you know it's going to confuse him with that home brewed spray. That that perfume that's marketed toward Yetis.
6: Traversing
3: through the boskage, searching for my woodland nymph. Searching,
5: always searching, but never finding. The sight of my knotted mane flowing through the night's breeze cannot return my elusive love. And the call ever growing will never be heard. <laughs> Translation. Zontir le I seek the musk that screams for me, that blandishes her toward me.
6: Les foot Smell the passion.
3: Business organizations especially need good leaders and spend more than $24 billion on leadership development every year. Despite this large amount of spending, many leaders who participate in the programs don't gain the experience they need to make them the best possible leaders. Susan Ashford, a professor at uh, the Stephen M. Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, joins us today on the line to share how to overcome this deficit of leadership how do you actually create better leaders uh, Dr. Susan Ashford thank you for being with us today
7: I'm happy to be here love talking about leadership
3: I do too it's it, to me because leadership is it's everything we do we can lead in every part of our lives can't we
7: yes exactly and uh, leaders come from everywhere we tend to limit our views about who really can lead in organizations.
3: That's it because like we think okay the senior person should be the leader the the you know the most educated or the best educated should be the leader but you're saying you might want to actually choose your leaders a different way.
7: Well, it's not so much choose but allow people to emerge and encourage people to emerge as leaders.
3: That's a, so so really it's about everybody has the ability and those that are emerging we need to make it a little easier for them to to get into the into the
7: roles. Right. And some of that is done by the active granting of that identity by people who see something in individuals. So I see leadership potential in you, and I encourage that and reinforce it when it happens so that it happens more often.
3: That's like mentorship. Yeah,
7: people will lead.
3: That that really seems to be a big uh, role. What what if I'm a mentor and I start to see it emerging in somebody? Um, what what do I what do I do to foster it? What do I do like because we could get them in the lead, leadership classes and the programs that companies are buying. But but what would be the most important traits for them to start focusing on?
7: Well, so to encourage others to lead is really to. Uh, give over some power to them give over some control over some part of the work and invite them to take that on and as things go well to reinforce the leadership that you see in them and pretty soon people will start to take that on as part of their own identity and then want to act based on that identity
3: Hmm. is when when you when you look at this as a as an academic Are we going about this the right way? Is it – I mean it seems like a natural approach, right, that we should kind of naturally always be building up leaders beneath us. Um, As if I'm the leader of an organization, I should be doing everything I can to mentor those uh, that I work with to to reach that state. What gets in the way organizationally that might stop us from, from really facilitating a good leadership approach?
7: Well, a lot of things. One is uh, people feel threatened by the leadership of others. Um, sometimes people have a, a, a schema about leadership that there can only be one leader in a group, and so if they feel they were the formally appointed leader that no others should be leading, um, other people have a more shared schema and are excited when more people lead. Uh, you know, you take on some risk as the formally appointed leader. If you give over some power and control to others, they might not be perfect. They might screw something up, make a mistake, etc. So there's a lot of reasons why it happens.
9: It's
3: true, and it's. Um, I mean, I don't always believe. Like sometimes we promote people that have been there longer. We like, or we promote somebody that excels in in one one part of the company. Uh, to a leadership position, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be the best leader.
7: It doesn't actually mean that they will lead at all. We tend to think of leadership as a between-person thing. Someone is a leader, someone isn't a leader, when actually it probably is better conceptualized as within-person. Sometimes I lead, sometimes I don't lead. And if you are in a room with executives and you ask, have you ever had a boss who didn't lead, almost every hand always goes up. Hmm.
3: <laughs> so true. Um, what are some you I know you in your research have focused a lot on learning as a as a really critical part of leadership. Talk about talk about how learning impacts our leadership.
7: Right. So the research has shown that that people who attain high positions in organizations often feel they learn the most from the experiences they've had. But if you watch how people go through experiences, they often go through them somewhat mindlessly, uh, more focused on where they're going and where they've been to even be in the experience they're actually having and learning from it. So we've developed a framework of practices that would help people to glean more from their experiences. Um, And it really makes people in the driver's seat of their own leadership development. They can decide to devote effort to it, and they can grow from it. Or they can keep going through their experiences mindlessly and not grow very much. It's really up to them.
3: So with mindless being, they're they're just not present in their day-to-day experiences enough to glean the leadership lessons out of it?
7: Correct. Yeah, we go through a lot of life mindlessly. We eat mindlessly, drive mindlessly. Sometimes we interact mindlessly. And a lot of times we're preoccupied on where we're trying to get to next or something that happened in the past. And so, yes, they miss the learning. We we encourage people to actually to, to set a goal for an important upcoming experience, a goal for their own learning as well as what they're trying to accomplish in the experience.
3: And, and actually focus on that goal while you're going through the experience. Correct. I guess that but ties can, it back. Huh? That that makes it more mindful.
7: Right, exactly. I could focus on being more persuasive that if that's something I've identified as a growth area for me while I'm running the task force I was assigned to run. The task force is going to get run, but are you going to learn something about you and um, you in relationship with others or not is really the question.
3: Is this what you call learning mode?
7: Yeah, we call it mindful engagement, being engaged in the experience in a mindful way. You know, and it's in part going in with a goal, uh, training yourself to be more attentive to or explicitly seek feedback, um, and reflecting after the experience so that you can synthesize what you learn. Most managers don't do any of that. If you did do that, you will learn more from experience.
3: And you, uh, I, this really could be a model, and I'm sure this is what you do, is you you make it a model about – because then everyday experience just makes you better. This is – you learn through your day-to-day experiences, your day-to-day projects, but you have to be intentional by having a goal, by, by focusing attention on it, by gathering feedback, and then reflecting on what you learned.
7: Right. And you stated it exactly. That's what we're hoping to do. And you know, I'm pretty modest. I just want to get people to identify a large upcoming experience and learn from that. If it became a habit, you could learn a lot from all of your everyday experiences. You're always interact, interacting with people and leadership is a relational sport and you know, you there's a lot to learn by their reactions to you, by your reactions to them, et cetera
3: is and and then you this becomes leadership because you're leading your own growth this is a growth cycle a growth process
7: You're both leading your own growth yes so you're self-leading but you're learning about something that's related to leadership cuz leadership and personal effectiveness are not that far apart mm-hmm. so I need to be a better listener I need to be more persuasive I need to be more approachable uh one blogger wrote about I need to be less of a perfectionist. You know, if you're if you're actually getting better at those things, you are getting better at leadership.
3: That's right. And uh, I guess too that would actually take the 24 billion dollars that companies are spending and magnify it by Yeah,
7: if you can five. spend money instead of investing in the few that you've identified as potential and sending them off to programs you could identify – you could invest in the many and helping them to learn sort of self-strategies for growth and uh, invested in supporting those strategies. It's a very different way to spend your money, and I think it could have high payoff. That's
3: so true. And when you also look at it too, you um, – like every single learning opportunity, every single – investment of anything you've ever done, you'll be able to get more out of. Even, I mean, this I assume would even work in physical development, I mean, exercising better. Go in there with a goal and actually be attentive to learning and seek feedback and then actually reflect.
7: Yeah, I over. think it could help in a lot of different things, yes.
3: Does, um and when you go in, and is is this what you do, Susan, though, as a researcher, um. Why is it because these seem like very natural uh traits or very natural things to do, but there must be some underlining fear or insecurity that makes us not make our learning more formal like this. Um, what stops us from setting a goal in a in a class or a workshop that we're taking or staying focused or even going back and reflecting and holding ourselves accountable?
7: Right. I actually think they're very unnatural acts. Um, you know, a lot of us don't like being in touch with our thoughts and feelings, our inadequacies. So we, you know, we, we pursue a strategy of denial. Um, and so we don't address those things. There's actually been a study on the reflection component. Uh, psychologists ask people, would you rather spend 15 minutes alone with your thoughts and feelings or shock yourself with a 9-volt battery? And the majority of people took the 9-volt battery rather than uh, being alone with their thoughts and feelings, sort of reflecting on them.
6: <laughs> wow. Yeah.
7: So we we just don't – you know, we don't like it. We don't like confronting our inadequacies and so thinking about that as a, as a place to grow. You know, and some people don't like it to the extent that they don't feel they have any inadequacies or places to grow and are shocked when someone finally points it out to them. Problem with waiting is that people are reluctant to give that kind of feedback,
6: mm-hmm.
7: so you may never know.
3: Is, I mean, it, it seems like as a parent, I could actually, I could really enhance my my children's life, my my family's life, if I could somehow instill in them these ideas of of learning as a universal kind of process of life.
7: Yeah, I think it would be great. I think they would. You know, if you can just imagine the person who, going through a, a PhD program or going through um, an MBA program, who did that over and over and over again, how much more they would develop than a person who did not. It's it's really it's a pretty simple set of ideas, but difficult to to enact.
3: Yeah, that's powerful, uh, Susan. Um, as we wrap this up, what would you say is the one thing that we could do uh, today? that would would just immediately get us on the path to better learning and and better understanding of our situation, of, of the opportunities we have in our day?
7: Well, I suppose it would be to recognize that leadership at its base is always going to be somewhat of an art form. We're never going to have a formula for it. And to commit to the journey of learning and developing it um, it's a wonderful journey, takes you great places. You've got to commit to doing it.
3: Totally. Totally, totally. Well, we appreciate you. Dr. Susan Ashford, a professor at the Stephen M. Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, thank you for your great work and insight into leadership. Uh, really, when you think about it, what if it was learnership, right? What if we were able to focus more on our ability to learn? Um, instead of, you know, just the hierarchical system of are you the leader or who's the leader or who's in charge? Shouldn't the person in charge be the, the most adept at learning and, and helping others learn to reach their potential? Interesting insights, folks. We'll continue the journey as we uh, help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
4: I'm ready
1: to go in, coach. Just give me a chance.
3: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Welcome back, friends. Dr. Matt here. Um, One of the uh, things as we talk about leadership and learning, um, one of my greatest learnings recently in my life has been about discipline. I've always felt like I was not a very disciplined person, Um, which is interesting because, You can still accomplish a lot in life even though you don't have a lot of discipline. And uh, I'm going to give you some of the to-dos that I've learned about discipline, and and it really is – it's changed my life, right? So um, one of the first principles I teach about it is we've got to learn to magnify existing discipline rather than trying to generate a new discipline, if that makes sense to you. What I mean by this is everybody has certain gifts. Everybody has certain talents, abilities. And when it, when it comes down to it, for example, one of my great uh, attributes or strengths I, that – based on um, an assessment – in fact, let me just tell you where to go do this. If you go to the website AuthenticHappiness.org, AuthenticHappiness.org, you can take an assessment that's called the VIA Character Strengths Assessment, and it will evaluate you on 24 of the top character strengths that uh, – that that you know exist. And it comes from years and years of research over thousands and thousands of um, of years of of writings about character strength, and what they've come up with is basically 24 different character strengths. This is all validated academic research about happiness. It actually comes from Penn State University, so if you go to AuthenticHappiness.org and take the VIA character strengths test, it will rank your character strengths from number one to number 24. And the research shows that when people are really focused on what they do well, their number one strength, then it actually um, makes you happier. And so my number one strength is uh, social intelligence. My number two strength is like um, uh, spirituality. number three strength is a love of learning. Um, Number fourth strength is uh, humor. Uh, Fifth strength is perspective and wisdom. So I have these different strengths, okay? And I've actually built my entire career around them. And in those areas, I have a lot of discipline. I'm very disciplined at – paying attention socially to what's going on in the situation or being able to um, find the perspective and wisdom in something. I can can see that very quickly. My 24th area of strength is actually self-regulation. So I don't regulate myself very well. And what I found is instead of me trying to go generate more self-regulation, what I could do instead is actually get the benefits of regulating by using my other strengths. For example, when I sit with clients and I start to – it's easy for me to get backlogged and and start having each client go over about five or ten minutes. But what I found is instead of just being a lot better at regulating myself, what I might want to do instead is just use my strengths of social intelligence. Like what is it like to be the person out there waiting for me for 15 or 20 minutes? And when I actually connect into what I'm already good at, I'm better at regulating myself. So use what you already do really well to help you be more disciplined. Does that make sense? But in order to do that, you might want to go find out what your character strengths are. I love it because my kids now, we've gone through this assessment together, and everyone in my family knows what their top five or six strengths are. And the rule then would be we're always going to ask them to use those strengths to, to do the things they need to do in their lives. So always start where you already have some success, okay? That's rule number one. Rule number two, choose to focus your firepower. Researchers have found that you only have so much willpower in a day, and it really is a finite resource. And the longer you go in the day and every decision you have to make actually lowers your ability to make the next decision better. Um, and so that's why in the morning you have the ability to get a lot of stuff done maybe, but at the end of the day, you start wearing out. It's called decision fatigue, and many people are suffering from so many decisions in their life that they run out, and by the end of the day, they literally have a harder time getting to the gym at the end of the day. They have a harder time exercising um, Focus, and so what? The one of the a, a great uh, book is called um, Essentialism by Greg McKeon, and he basically talks about a garden hose metaphor. Where uh, if you if you put your hand on the hose, if you don't put your finger over the end of the hose, you know you've got like a, a drizzle of water. But the minute you focus it and add a little more pressure to the end of the hose. You can direct it a little bit easier. So what you might want to do is make sure that you're putting the things that you need to really exercise discipline um, to do, put those earlier in the day and make it so at night, if you, for example, have a tendency to go into the kitchen late at night and start eating, um, one reason that happens is probably because you've run out of willpower. So you'll probably want to create some other way to to focus on it. Sean Acor in his book Happiness Advantage has a rule that he calls the 20 second rule. He teaches that there's a there's a concept called activation energy. It takes energy to get a project or an activity started, right? It's like momentum. If you want to get something done in a you know, you know, to do a project at your house, it takes energy to get the project started. And the goal would be to always make the energy it takes to get started So easy that you can get it started within 20 seconds. If it takes you longer than 20 seconds to get something started, you're probably not going to do it. Now, by the way, you can take – you could actually take things, activities that you don't want to be doing. Like if you watch too many Netflix shows or whatever, maybe what you ought to do is start making sure that your phone isn't near you. If you leave your phone upstairs in your bedroom and you're down um, you know, down in the kitchen, you're going to be less likely to go watch the Netflix show because your phone is going to be 20 seconds away. So the goal is very simply, minimize your activation energy, do whatever you can. He gives an example of taking the batteries out of the remote. When he was doing his dissertation, he spent too much time watching TV. So he put the batteries in a completely different part of the house, so every single time he um, needed to use the remote or turn the TV on, he would have to go out to the or up to his room to get the batteries. It's just a simple idea. So discipline, a lot of times, you don't need to be disciplined to do the entire project. You just need to be disciplined enough to do the first 20 seconds and, and get started on it. And then the last rule about creating more discipline in your life would be rely heavily on routines. Once you've used and and kind of created uh, the easiest path and the pattern and you know what your greatest strengths are and you are able to focus your time and attention, then make it a routine. Make it a habit. I know people that have have now had an incredible discipline of knowing where their wallet and their keys are because they simply made one habit of coming home every day and putting their wallet and their keys in the exact same place every single day. Once you've made something a routine – a habit, right? And the habit eventually will change the way your brain is working because of neuroplasticity, they call it. Once you've done the process over and over and over enough, your brain will just kind of do it automatically. Until then, find a way to actually discipline all your focus and your energy on the routine. And once you make the routine, boom, it'll make life a lot easier, right? Right. Now, there's there's a ton of learning behind all of that and three or four books that you can go get, but start doing something today and don't just chalk it up to, uh, life's hard, I'm not going to do that. Discipline we all need, but again, you also already have existing strengths where discipline is already in there. It's already embedded in you. So start, if you're going to start somewhere, start focusing on what you're already good at and use that to help you through the things that you want to work on more. Uh, That's uh, some basics uh, one-on-one on discipline and developing discipline in our lives. Up next, we'll continue the discussion with some empty news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's time to get uh, back to uh, a little learning, a little life's lesson for you. Earlier, we did a story about a father who was trying to discipline his six-year-old daughter, and he did so in a very ineffective way by chasing her around the neighborhood dressed like a clown, I guess. Dangerous, maybe a little scarring her, you know, for life, ruined her for life, and ruined a good clown, you know, story for her in the down the long uh, run, we also wanted to talk about our own, I guess, parenting uh, lessons that our parents taught us. <laughs> sure, Jess, Jess' dad has has some really interesting ways of trying to motivate him. Yeah,
5: so you know, he was kind of creative, like this clown mask wearing guy, but he didn't do anything as dangerous or scarring. He did things that I'll never forget, but I wouldn't say they scarred me. Well. <laughs>
3: I mean, maybe a little bit. <laughs> so uh, today's my dad's birthday, by the way. Oh, happy 70 birthday. years old. What's his name? Paul. Paul Simpson. Yes. From, uh, uh, where is it? Irving. Anaheim. 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 So, yeah, he would, you know,
5: didn't always want to be so harsh in his uh, discipline methods. So he would do things like he would have us stand on our heads and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Like if you did something wrong. Yeah. Okay. He would make us tell nursery rhymes backwards. <laughs> uh, he once filmed my sister who was trying to get out of being grounded, uh, filmed her doing 10 Alibabas to him. Really? Just, you know, basically throwing her hands down and praising him. And uh, he also flipped a coin with her and said, you can get out of being grounded uh, if you win this coin toss. And But he said, double or nothing. So if you lose the coin toss, ooh, you're grounded for twice the amount of time. Oh, so kind of like it was—it was grounding uh, gambling. Yes. Okay. So she lost, and that's <laughs> oh. when then the the ten alibabas came into play. <laughs> um, he, uh, we had this front post that he tied us to one time and sprayed us with the hose. <laughs> See, it seems harsh. No, but I'm sure every parent has thought about doing something like that. Well, like when yeah. you're out spraying the hose. You know you just want to spray your kids with it to get a little
3: frustration out, right? See, that's what bothers – it's always the dad (laughs) that kind of is a little more aggressive like that. And the moms are like, don't, honey, no. Yeah. Uh, Probably my favorite
5: thing that he did, though, was my brother and I were misbehaving and arguing and fighting as we did quite a lot of back in our day. He gave us a clipboard that had a paper on it that essentially said something to the effect of, we've been bad – (laughs) And we're not allowed to eat our dinner or dessert, I can't remember, until we've gone around the neighborhood and gotten 10 signatures. He said after the fact that he didn't think we would actually do it. But we, the threat of no dinner, are you kidding me? So we took that clipboard, we went around the neighborhood. I remember giving it to one of my neighbors in particular who, you know, read over it and put his signature
3: on it. We got the signatures, went back and got our dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But this actually makes sense because you had some, you guys were a pretty, you know, you were a pretty rough bunch.
5: I was the youngest. So I got the brunt of a lot of my brother's mischief. Yeah.
3: Well, I think Paul did a great job. Look how you turned out. Thank you. And I think that ankle bracelet that you're wearing is – I think it's wonderful. And it will be off in about six months. (sighs) Paul Simpson, happy birthday to you and thank you for disciplining your child. Thanks for being creative too. I mean even coming up with ideas like tying your – tethering your child to a pole, spraying him, you know. Having them go around the neighborhood. Things that parents today wouldn't dare do, but you dared to do it. Paul Simpson, you're a great man, a great leader, a great father, and most importantly, you raised one of the most difficult children ever, in Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Happy birthday to you, folks. That's uh, our number two of the program. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr.
2: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
1: Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Matt program. Dr. Matt here with uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The Dr. Matt program. Yeah, I, 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 did, I forgot the name of the show. For We're a testing second. out a new title The Dr. Matt Show, The Dr. Matt uh, Documentary.
5: Between two speakers with Matt Townsend. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Feedback. <laughs> oh, no, that doesn't sound.
5: Yeah, that's that's not always
3: – doesn't have a positive connotation always. Not in a studio. Yeah. Hey, uh, great show for you today. We're going to um, – we, we got to get more into these stories of the heroes from the shooting in Las Vegas. A tragedy there, of course. And uh, what do you do? I mean, it's not going to make sense. Everybody wants to know why. And the why question will never be answered. But what might be answered or understood is what happens when humanity is pushed to a point of collapse – some people are able to step up and create some really amazing heroic uh, acts. Yeah. And you, I mean you bring up a good question. What do you do? For for
5: most people the best thing they're going to be able to do is what people are already doing in Vegas, lining up just waiting to get your uh, your blood donated so that you can help save lives. Um I mean if you're a religious person, you can pray. I I know for me personally, I'm I can be somewhat impulsive sometimes or I can I react – I have a – I don't always have the best reflexes. Yeah. And so I wonder, like, how would I react in a situation like this where wow. I needed to protect my family or someone else? So I personally have been praying that in a situation like this or in, at the drop of a hat, I can protect my family, my loved ones, anybody. I can be in a situation situation where I can help out and not, you know, not have that initial reaction of I've got to save myself, but to to do the right and heroic thing, hopefully.
3: Oh, and think about uh, none of us know how we would handle it probably until you're in the middle of it, which is maybe why this is so stressful for people, because now they're stressed about what what if this happens to them? And by the way, notice with the minute we start thinking about that, we're thinking about the potential what if. But the reality of what made people stand out in this event is those that were able to actually be present in the moment. Uh, There's a great story of a nurse that her initial instinct was to just run and flee, flee, flee. And as she was running away, it dawned on her that she's a nurse. I mean, she's the only one that can do anything to help. So she ran back and then she tells stories that there were other doctors there, paramedics, people that were willing to stand there in harm's way that were helping those victims. And so – um, as far as just a little update on the news, if you uh, if you haven't um, heard it, uh, the shooting in Las Vegas on Sunday night has left 59 people dead, injured 527 others. That number keeps going up and up. It's one of the deadliest mass shootings in American history. At least 23 firearms, including a handgun, were found in the shooter's hotel suite, according to the Las Vegas Police Department. Some were rifles equipped with scopes, said Sheriff Joseph Lombardo of the police department, adding that. The shooter used multiple rifles during the attack. The federal uh, law enforcement official confirmed the number of rifles in the suite, along with hundreds of rounds of ammunition, including two rifles outfitted with scopes and set upon tripods in front of two big windows. The two windows, I'm assuming that he hammered out. Um, Another official said that among the weapons were an AR-15 style assault rifle. Sheriff Lombardo said that the shooter brought in at least 10 suitcases into the hotel over a period of time. He just kept bringing him in, which you know what is pretty common in Vegas uh, hotels because a lot of these people are there for um, like a convention. A convention, so they've yeah. got a lot of their goods from their companies, and anyway, so it didn't, you know, it didn't create a lot of attention for him. Uh, Eventually, Sheriff Lombardo said the shooter fired through this hotel room door at security guards. That's some information we didn't know about, Uh, striking one in the leg. The guard is still alive, he said. SWAT officers then went in uh, after the guard was shot, and um, uh, apparently he had killed himself. Um, Other rounds of ammunition were there. Some electronic devices were found back in his home in Mesquite, which is about an hour and a half away From um, Las Vegas. Again, it doesn't make sense. And I'm not sure that we'll get the closure that you think you're ever going to get on a mass of shooting. I mean, there's no closure. Well,
5: especially it seems right now anyway, it seems like there's no motive. Yeah.
3: No, no reason for this guy doing this. His brother didn't understand it. I mean, people that knew him, he was a a rich uh, investor, like a development um, investor, real estate investor.  … That just loved to gamble and apparently gambled hundred dollar hands of video poker, um, and nobody knows exactly what happened. But what we do know is on the ground, some pretty amazing uh, things were going on, and um, just some of the heroes that are now starting to appear. Um, there was there was one person there that, or and two roommates that helped uh, hold somebody as as he was bleeding out, um, and and actually they stayed with that person until they took their last breath. Again. While a gunman was still above them, with a scope able That's to huge. take shots,
5: yeah. That, I mean, I'm, I see a story here of an 18-year-old girl that was shot. Her, she says her knee gave her, her knee gave way, and she couldn't run. And this man came by, took off his belt, put her leg in a tourniquet, picked her up, threw her over
3: his shoulder, and put her in a taxi, got her to safety. Unbelievable. A lot of elementary or uh, you know uh, school workers. Um, Susan Smith was an office manager. She's one that passed away. Uh, one of the victims of this. She had two adult children and had been in the District 16 in Simi Valley Unified School District for uh, district for 16 years. And she was um, uh, the right hand of the school principal there. She had touched so many lives. She was one who passed away. Uh, there's a great shot on CNN of a husband uh, protecting his wife that's on the ground as as gunshots are being fired. She apparently had collapsed and uh, he was watching over her, protecting her, I guess willing to take a bullet if he needed to. And a few minutes after the shot, the picture was taken, they were able to stand up and run away. But she had been overcome.
5: There's a tweet here from Robert Iger, who I believe is the CEO of Disney. He had an employee, a Disney employee that was there that was killed. He t- he tweeted, a senseless, horrific act and a terrible loss for so many. We mourn a wonderful member of the Disney family, Carrie Barnett. Tragic.
3: Ah, what do you do? I mean, again, it's not going to make sense. But um, one of the things I find confidence in is the simple fact that there is um, – there's, there are good people. And by the way, everybody there would love to serve. It's – when people are shooting, your fight or flight kicks in and it's natural to just self-protect. And so I've, you saw a lot of that, just people yeah. running. And then over time, people were able to overcome that instinct and some were able to come back and help people and, and get them out of harm's way. I think that's a key term
5: there is natural instinct. I don't think you should ever fault somebody no. for having that be their first thought. You don't know how you would
3: react in this exactly. situation until it happens. And so this isn't – but one thing you do know is you would you would react. Your first instinct – you yeah. have reaction and your first instinct would be to self-protect, which – so I want people out there that have never been through something like this. I've never been through it. But I think what you notice is the majority of people – got out, They and they got out of a really bad situation. There will be traumatic, uh, you know, some of them will need therapy, some will need help. But what they went through was normal in such a horrendous experience. Naturally, you'll get out. You'll, your body will do everything it can to get out. Also, you can um, override some of that to the degree that it's healthy to go back and, and help others. And so that's all natural. So don't just continue to worry about this you know, will this happen to me? Will this happen in my neighborhood? I might also just suggest, as a professional, that you probably ought not obsess and have your family obsessing about these stories. This is like kind of the 9 11 effect where your kids are going to watch this, they're going to have questions. So talk to them about this is random, this is something that's really weird, this isn't something you need to worry about every day. But this is what we do if something like this ever happens. I mean, it's funny, in schools, they learn a lot about how to protect themselves in the school. We might want to just have a few conversations with them at home, how we're going to contact each other, but but normalize that this isn't this isn't something that is going to happen to you, but we will get through it and this is our plan right. if anything did happen.
5: Terrible things do happen, but we also live in an incredible country where many amazing things happen. And even in tragic situations like this, you see amazing heroes come forth. It's so
3: true. And um, there are are other stories out there. But what I would suggest, too, is for every minute you spend listening to the updates about the gunman and everything, spend five times more time talking and looking at the heroes and even the stories of those that lost their lives. And the real power of this is the human side of this, and I want you to notice. How connected we get, how everybody has emotion and compassion for Vegas and the people that were there and this crazy tragedy because that feeling you are feeling is – that is what healthy, good um, human uh, relations and connection are about. That's what it's about right there. And we need to make sure we carry that spirit into every other discussion that's going on in this country, whether it's taking a knee but don't politicize it. Let's just start using that same spirit of understanding each other, serving each other to figure out how others see things, right? How others from another party see things and don't just turn this into a partisan fight over guns. The minute we turn this into a gun fight, we're in trouble because we've done that with, with uh, Sandy Hook. We've done that with every one of these mass shootings and if you notice, it really hasn't helped us. So instead, let's figure out a way to keep the discussion alive. Uh, a couple of other uh, interesting little news headlines: Tom Petty uh, is is dead. Uh, yesterday, there was a story that came out early, um, a report announcing the singer's death prematurely, triggered triggered out of an outpouring of condolences on Monday afternoon. But Petty was actually on um, life support, and then a few uh, hours later, he was actually um, pronounced dead. We were the back of so. In a way, when you think about it, too, uh, Tom Petty, Free Falling, are you kidding? This song, this is this is pretty iconic. Do you know his other songs? No. You don't? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't No. Give us some. Yeah, this is the only one I know, too. The funny thing is, Don's going to be coming in here angry. Because Don, who uh, loves music, he's going, I'm sure
5: he's... Seriously. He's going to burst through the door singing this song. Yeah. Can't you just see that? Oh, he'll, yeah. But he'll be doing it, or he'll bring in his
3: flute. Yeah, he'll be power fluting. And he'll flute it. He'll be. Uh, he recorded with the uh, Heartbreakers, the band that he formed in the mid-1970s. Wow. Um, they were a staple. His songs were a staple of, on FM radio through decades and include hits like Refugee. Don't Come Around Here No More, Free Falling, and Into the Great Wide Open. Mr. Petty sold millions of albums, headlined arenas and festivals well into 2017. He was only 66 years old. Well, yeah, can't can't back down or won't back down. What was
5: that one of them yeah, that you said?
3: Uh, where'd it go? Um, oh, Don't Come Around Here No More? I don't know. Yeah. This is the one that, that really shines. Anyway, we... You know, another truth of life. You lose great people. And so that's why we need great people. Isn't it? It's just amazing. And then everyone starts saying, there's always three, right? It's always They're going to come in threes. So <laughs> there's Tom Petty and who's the next one and who's yeah. the next one. Um, also, uh, just a little update on San Juan. Mayor uh, President Trump is heading to Puerto Rico today. Also to Vegas, I believe today as well. Going tomorrow
5: isn't going. going Is it tomorrow tomorrow or or Tuesday? Tuesday.
3: I thought he was going to Puerto 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 Rico Rico Tuesday, and and then he'll make his way up uh, to Vegas tomorrow. Right. Um, And while he's there, he will not um, be apparently meeting with the mayor of uh, Puerto Rico, San Juan Mayor Carmen Yulín Cruz. He won't be making that
4: meeting. Sorry, can't do it.
3: And uh, look who just walked in, by the way.
4: Yeah. The man, the myth. Of I legend. saved. I was able to save the uh, situation downstairs.
3: I appreciate that. And by the way, um, you brought us a treat from. We have photo shoots today here at BYU Broadcasting, and um, the there's something. Two things do not go together. Hmm. Um, really, <laughs> this is true. Terry South. Yep. And a photo shoot.
5: So, not happy. You came in here wiping your face, and I'm yeah. guessing that was either from the makeup, wiping the makeup off, yeah, or wiping yeah.
3: away the tears
5: from
4: having to endure that. No, it was okay. What pose <laughs> did you strike? What was your favorite pose? I just pose? stood there. Did you put your hand on your hip? No, he sat me at a desk, and I just sort of talked to him for a while. And they took pictures while you were talking? Yeah. Um, so I don't know what he's I, going to. Eat I get obviously. to go do this in a few hours. Yeah, they all they all reference that. They're like, isn't he coming in later today? I'm like, yes.
5: You know, so, they're going to Photoshop something in there, uh, like that top hat we were talking. Maybe the yeah. fake mustache. Did, they put,
3: did, did you have a monocle? No, <laughs> I just
4: sat there and talked to the guy. You didn't, didn't have any, any. You didn't have any. Uh, I talked to him actually about the uh, what the possible future of radio and podcasting could possibly you know be. Here in the next five to ten years. Oh, that
3: is such a boring photo Because shoot. he
4: was like just trying to get me to start talking. So I just started talking. Whatever. It was like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did
3: he turn a fan on and say, work it,
4: work no, it, lean no, in, lean was in? No, there none of that, no. Okay. He did say, while you're talking, could you please hold this inflatable guitar? <laughs> I, I, I explained to the makeup Pink. artist. Yeah, she's great. The uh, How we've all been compelled to do this. Compelled.
3: Uh, compelled is one way to look at it.
4: Expected. Um, told. Forced. forced yeah.
3: Uh, given the opportunity.
4: I mean, blessed. She, and, and apparently others have talked to her about this also because she went, yes, we've heard about yeah. this. And then she started going through all their arguments. It was great. She's the best. Yeah. I, yeah. I love
3: having my makeup done by her. I feel 10 years younger when I have my makeup done by her.
4: Okay. She too
5: was saying, oh, I know what you mean. I mean, I'm only getting paid 15 bucks an hour
3: for this. Oh, she said that. Did, yeah, I was like, and do you I was work like, here? I don't get paid. Let me ask you this, and this may be a little personal. Okay. did Go she on. did she do ab work? Did she spray no. on abs? Did she do any
4: Just body makeup? Stayed up here at one point. She says, "I'm going to spread this across your lips or your your lids." Oh boy! Your lids, and yeah. I asked her, I you know eyelids. She's yeah, putting yeah. some makeup on there, which reminds me. Let me get that off. That's there. a bit intrusive. And I said, I, I I'm That's... pretty confident. No one has ever said that to me. No Hands one has ever said, lids. I'm going to spread this across the lids. But I really think that blue um, that blue stuff on your eyelids
3: really makes your eyes pop. Well,
5: <laughs> yeah, but can you can you back up a little bit? I'm getting some of that glitter on me. Yeah, sorry.
4: That is a lot of glitter. And then she put like lip liner or something. On That's that? not know. lip liner. And she's like, I'm not putting this on that thick. And I'm like, really? Because it kind of feels like when I was a kid and I yeah. put on the zombie makeup mm-hmm. with the fake scars and Did everything. Did you do that a kind lot? Of, no, just at Halloween. But okay. yeah, it kind of felt that way. Wow. See, that would have been concerned. cool. You should have had them put like a little drop of blood coming that, out of your They mouth. offered. They um, offered. Maybe some vampire fangs. They had all kinds of stuff there. And I'm <laughs> like, no, just take a picture. I oh, go. I'm so excited. But of course, you're there at 845. And they they didn't start till 15 minutes later. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, people, I've got things. I, I walked in saying, I, my show's going right now. Can we get this okay? No, we can't. Great, thanks. We're behind. Yeah. Did you do push-ups before? So you were popped? No, I worked out last night, so I feel pretty good about that. So I'm excited to see your picture. Did you wear the boa
3: that you were
5: going to wear? I did
4: not wear the boa. decided against that at the last second. You know what you should do is have
5: them uh, come to our show Mm. while they're supposed to be at an important meeting or something.
4: The befuddlement when I said I work at the radio station, they're like, um... Which station is that? So what do you do there? I go, I produce the morning show. And they're like, Mm. and who is that again? what show is that? Yeah. 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 I'm like, thanks. Thanks for working in the building. By (laughs) the way, they don't usually make up the radio team. Well, they don't, but, you know the fact that there's an entire floor dedicated to this process yeah or half a floor cuz the other house again experience was TV. pretty
3: similar yeah. they got out the list and were like are you
4: sure you're supposed to be here do you even work in the building
3: <laughs> you do what now anyway it's going to be excited. I'm excited I'm going to go get waxed at about 11 o'clock and then uh, get my spray on abs and then have the photo shoot I can hardly wait well straight ahead we're going to be talking with Julie Nelson about home birth many people are choosing to deliver their kids at home and what does that mean how do you what is it like what does that experience like this is the Matt Townsend show helping you be the good in the world Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us today is Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom we call her, the child whisperer, and uh, we we like to have her come on to teach us parenting skills, how to make sure we we love our children, and 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 you know don't.
2: Don't screw them up too badly. Don't
3: screw them up too badly. And today, uh, she, um, Julie had brought in a really interesting topic about home births. We have more and more moms choosing to uh, deliver their children at home instead of in the hospital. I guess for a variety of reasons, it is it is expensive in a hospital, but it's also a different experience. Maybe it's more clinical than some moms may want. They might want a more intimate experience as well.
2: Exactly. There's a lot of reasons why. And this a topic came up with Deseret News article just last month. And I thought we should talk about it because it's very intriguing. None of mine were born at home. I I thought it through and I just decided to go to the hospital. It seems
3: scary. It's a big, it's, it's a, a big, it's a big Yeah,
2: it is. It is. Um. So for me, it was right for me to go to the hospital, especially with my last one. I considered it, but being older, I thought being in that yeah. high risk, I- well, 60, 70? Yes, it You
3: were (laughs) were 28. That's not older.
2: But this lady in the article um, gave birth, the first in the hospital, and then she's had two at home. And she said, "Um, I was never fearful of giving birth. I knew I was going to have this baby. And as long as it looked healthy on all the ultrasounds and I had no problems with my body, I wanted to let nature take its course. So she described it as a miracle and out-of-this-world experience. Mm. Um, and home births are on the rise in Utah, with an 89% increase from 2004 to 2013, Wow! more than double the national average, where women are searching for this more natural experience. But it only really accounts for about 2% of the total births in Utah, oh, is it nationally only 1%. So we are higher than the nation, um, according to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention. But the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecologists consider home births inherently more dangerous than births in a medically supervised Situation, like hospitals because of unforeseen complications and unplanned medical needs sure but despite this trend um that you know, there are many women who are still doing it, but the hosp- but they but the CDC still says that hospitals are the best place for women to give birth because of that high risk category. Um, but this lady said that she, um even is Lauren Lewis, said she didn't um, get to hold her baby the first time after the birth in the hospital, and so she said, "I wanted to have that experience of that deep connection in a familiar surrounding." Hmm. Um, so many women are choosing this because of they wanted more control. Cost is, you know. It's for oh, some, huge. but it's just you have more control. Now, if you do have a home birth, the article does point out that there's different kinds of midwives and there's a huge gap between the two. One is a lay midwife and she's not able to deal with the medications or is not considered a medical professional. Now, a certified nurse wife is what you need yeah. to have. And she's received an accredited university of education and obtained that licensure in the state that she's practicing. It seems like we ought to remember,
3: too, that there have over time there have been more babies delivered at home or in the field mm-hmm. than in a hospital.
2: Yes, and my grandmother was a certified midwife. I mean, that's how she, we used she to was do a, it. She was a registered nurse and right. she was the county... Uh, midwife, delivery person. Yeah. So all through um, her county, she, that's what she did for her profession. And her home, actually, for part of that my mom's growing up period, was delivering babies in her home. Oh, man. And so my mom witnessed a lot of women coming in yeah. with a big belly and going out yeah. with a baby. Jeff
3: Simpson, they they didn't even choose to have it at home or at the hospital. They just delivered in the lobby. Let's hear it, Jeff. It's a pretty, uh, he can't, <laughs> he doesn't
6: he can't want to even talk, talk about, about, it. about
3: it. No, he gets too embarrassed. But it was a lobby baby. No drugs. He didn't have to pay for a doctor or drugs. He did have to pay for janitor service. but that <laughs> To was clean up afterwards? Not even to clean up because I think the janitor may have delivered him in the <laughs>
2: – The janitor the, opened the door for him. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he was the door.
2: Janitor – Jeff is just trying to pinch pennies, you know?
3: Yeah. Jeff, they're very. – they're very frugal. Yeah. No, actually, it was just you – know. He's like,
2: could we just drive to the hospital and just deliver it right there on the front doorstep? And Stoss, then, uh, we, Stoss
3: wanted to come, and Stoss – that's the baby's name, and Jeff can't even correct it because we took his microphone away. Um, oh, but we did get a ding. So, um, But Stoss, uh, he wanted to come, and he wanted to come on his time frame. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, third baby, it all went a little faster.
2: Benny he thought. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a big deal. We're having more and more of these. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be careful because if you if you have an abnormal situation, then it would be great to be in the hospital. Yeah.
2: The problem is if there is something that's r- a problem, then seconds matter. And transporting them to the hospital could be, you know, the difference between right. some serious um, – some serious consequence, um, and so they do say that that um, interventions do save lives that are right there, just down the hall yeah, in the hospital. Sure. So you kind of have to be careful with that. But you could even use a
3: midwife mm-hmm. in the hospital.
2: Yeah, and many hospitals it points out in the article are hospitals are are flexible with working to different um, delivery plans, and so they you know they want to know what it is that you plan to do, and then they can be a backup or they can do secondary procedures, and then you can have them come and do the ointment and all that sort of stuff yeah. that you would do you know afterwards. Oh, it's a lot of. Oh. So, there's a lot of planning. Yeah, but should complications arise, um, the hospital is the best place. Many people say. Um, and it, time is of the essence. So, so there's a lot of things you do want to consider, and so that's why I brought my friend here because she did go through all these considerations. And she, um, this is her sixth child, Anna's sixth child, Anna Fowler. Mm-hmm.
3: She, she done delivered at home. <laughs> yeah, she did. She, she's done what she's, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 exactly. Congratulations, Anna. Well, thank thanks you. for being with us. Well,
10: thank you, thank you for having me.
3: You, the, you had your sixth child at home. Did you have all of them at home? Or no,
10: this is not the first time I've experienced that, and. Um, my other five children, I've had in the hospital mm. with an OB, a very traditional setting, and had beautiful experiences there in the hospital and received good care. And this time, I felt um, I felt led to a midwife, a certified nurse midwife, and yeah. um, she was wonderful and very, very made the experience just truly. Do you, it
3: terrific. seems like you get a really weird response when you say, "Oh yeah, we're just going to have this one at home." Did <laughs> yeah. everybody look at you like?
10: Huh? I, I used to be serious? that mom that would say, yeah. "Are you serious?" I had friends that I heard would do that, and I think, what are they thinking?
3: But you can see how that could honestly be incredibly beautiful, mm-hmm. or like a nightmare. Yeah. Like it's going to, be, but it, but statistically, most of them would be just beautiful.
10: Yeah, yeah. And it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. I felt very safe there. I felt very safe with my midwife. Um, she was someone that I got to know well, and she got to know me well. And um, throughout the the prenatal care. And, and it was just, I loved the, I loved how peaceful it was before and after the birth. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any sort of pressures on me, um, to be performing in a certain way or, yeah. you know, um, progressing in a certain way. And it was, the baby came, um, in a very peaceful way because of that. Yeah. I felt.
3: And I mean, uh, having had others, you probably, you would know, Mm-hmm. You would know when this is getting a yeah. little different and- yeah
10: yeah, and so i you know i I don't know if it's a one size fits all sort of thing, but for for me i I have no regrets i'm so so happy that we were able to experience it at home because i felt um i felt like I knew that um having her at home i was would be able to have her the way that I wanted to have her yeah. and, and not i think interventions are are good in many cases and helpful, but um sometimes I think we try to intervene. Sometimes when we don't need to intervene, yeah, yeah. and maybe put um, pressure on a mother that's just a little bit Yeah, C-sections are on the rise, that. yeah, no, they are. Yeah. and mm-hmm. well, and
3: to being checked every so often, <laughs> and because they they have their protocol right, and they they know the numbers you're supposed to be at. But it, I think like with us, it was more my wife. It's almost like she wanted. This sounds horrible, but a vacation. She like wanted to get away from the other <laughs> the kids hotel to get away to have. <laughs> But, so I'm sitting there thinking you you're sitting there having a baby, and your kid's like, Mom,
10: where's my helmet? I can't find my cleats i I worried about that, I worried also <laughs> about um you know like they give you food in the hospital, like yeah. you know and and also the mess so who's going to clean up that mess of yeah. like having a baby, but it was those things became such not an issue not an issue, not an issue at all. I think I had a misunderstanding before because it was it was actually less interruptions with having her just at home and not having to go somewhere and come home from somewhere. And um, there was it was easier for my family that way.
3: Yeah, that's beautiful. It really is. Let's um, let's do this. Let's take a break. Again, we're here with Julie Nelson and Anna Fowler as we talk about home births. Uh, Boy, to me, it's scary. But I mean, you know, I've seen babies delivered in an ambulance when I was on an ambulance back in the day. And I look at these guys, if a bunch of paramedics can deliver a baby, come on, a a midwife and a mom and grandma, everybody can get involved. We'll continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
2: My wife had the baby at home. We had all our babies at home, just to make you
0: feel uncomfortable. (laughs) People don't want to hear about home birth. They're like,
4: oh, you had your baby at home. Yeah, we were going to do that, but we wanted our baby to live. (laughs) People always assume there was some
5: laziness involved.
4: You you didn't want to go to the hospital?
3: It was far. I didn't feel like putting on pants. Jim Gaffigan, you got to love that. I mean... Home births, that's what we're talking about today on the show with Julie K. Nelson. Uh, Remember, Julie's website is a spoonfulofparenting.com, and she is a professor at uh, Utah Valley University teaching applied parenting, marriage, and relationship skills. Today she brought her friend Anna Fowler in, and we're talking about home birth, home deliveries. uh, And it's like Jim Gaffigan was saying, we think it's just kind of a lazy man's way of doing this, but in honesty, it's – it, there's a lot of work, a lot of planning to make sure this goes well.
10: Yeah, there was there was a lot of um, work and research I did before um, having my baby at home, and I felt like the um, my midwife was very well versed in that subject. She had before becoming a certified nurse midwife, she had been a labor and delivery nurse for nine years. And, oh wow! Um, and she at the birth too. She was very prepared um, for if something were to be wrong or go wrong. She you know, was not anti-hospital or anti-doctor um, or anti-intervention if it was needed. Um, and she was willing, you know, to to make a change in course if, if that was yeah. needed. And she knew kind of what signs to look for. And if something were to go wrong, she wasn't just coming, you know, with her purse. She had quite a bit of supplies of oxygen for the baby if it was needed and Pitocin for me if it was needed for after bleeding and what, things like that.
3: What else is fun behind the scenes? Um, this was your sixth child, mm-hmm. five you had delivered in the hospital. Mm-hmm but as your sixth child, you also have a father that's an OBGYN, I guess. And so he's, he's, he's trained. He knows what he's doing as well, but he was even on hand if there was yeah, a worst my, case scenario. My mom
10: and dad were visiting from Oregon and oh, I perfect. wasn't sure if I would have the baby when they were out here. I was yeah. you know, going with the baby's timeline. And, and so they, um, they were out here and my dad's very, uh, he's been, uh, practicing. He for, he practiced OB for 35 years. He's recently retired, but he's still a family practice doctor in Oregon. And, and that was nice to have him there. And he he's always, with all of my births, been very um, supportive of me going natural. And even sometimes when I would have a hospital saying, we, you know, we need to speed this up. And huh. he would be saying, Anna, it doesn't need to be sped up. You're fine, you know, what you're doing. Slow and, and steady. Uh-huh. Wins he, the race. And even I was I was four, five days overdue when I finally had her. And the fourth day, he, he was there. And he was, you know, this, I had a home Doppler, and he was using that. And he said, you know, you don't need to— Four days overdue is not a problem, and that sometimes yeah. was the opposite sort of Of what you'd get feeling. in the ho- hospital mm-hmm. or with other doctors. Yeah, I was feeling like four days overdue from a pressure from the doctors that my body was not working yeah. as it should have been, and he was saying, this is so normal. You Isn't know,
2: it's, it, it it's, interesting. It's... And the other thing I find interesting is I, I am pro-hospital. I had all mine five at, at, in the hospital, um, but I did not appreciate having – Interns and nurses who are in training, university students, come traipsing oh. in at the last minute, having front row and center you know, seating yeah. for this experience. And all these people the, invite the window washer yeah. in while you're at it. So, was it and, in an
7: amphitheater, it exactly. sounds like?
2: Exactly. <laughs> But Anne at home could control who was there, yeah. and she actually, uh, you know, some do choose to have a beautiful experience with having their children involved. Tell us about yeah, that. My
10: children were were there, and some people think, "Oh my goodness, you know, what, you're know, what, what, crazy, what, we're, traumatizing these kids." Were you so scared? of my children, they they'll say, "No, mm-hmm. no," and I think the reason um, may have been because I, we were, I, they were prepared for this. They had they were there for. our – Many of my midwife visits, and being even, you know, she would be having them help me, you know, hold hold the measuring tape to measure mm-hmm. my as she measure my belly, and she was very involving oh, with neat. them. Um, but we also did we watched lots of YouTube videos of even animals giving birth and and other women giving birth, so they were very familiar with what was going to happen, yeah. what sounds mommy was going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the birth happened, it w- it was so beautiful. There was just people that I loved. Around me, and that to me was so so safe, and I think was a key in helping you know it be a, a an experience where my body just did what it was supposed to yeah. do. Mm-hmm.
3: Did you um, did you have somebody from the administration come in and keep having you fill out forms?
10: <laughs> I did not. I did not. I, she actually the, the midwife. You know, she came and saw me. Um, 2 days after the birth at my home and then she also came 6 weeks to oh, my home. She just that's amazing. And all amazing. of my prenatal care was she would come to my home that's and great. that was that was very wonderful you having very stark difference from from the other five yeah. children and um so I I I loved that part of it. It's a
3: beautiful part of it. Um I guess as we're wrapping this up how do we know how what advice would you both give um as to how we make this decision?
2: I say that we uh do the best with our with with um, researching um, on reputable um, sites and with people who have licenses mm-hmm. and people who have experience and that are very um informed. Yeah. I think find that not not emotionally um, sided to one side or the other, but mm-hmm. just informed, and then we make the best decision for us. And I would say, Anna and I were talking earlier, and she said perhaps with not maybe not your first one because you don't know your body yet or how things are going to turn out. Maybe you know consider for a later one like this is your sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, but also those who are in high risk, carrying twins, or who've had multiple cesareans, mm-hmm. or uncontrolled diabetes, or high blood pressure. Babies in breach should not plan on home births, hmm. or a um,
3: husband with weak knees,
2: <laughs> <laughs> or like mine who who fainted on my first you know, yeah. delivery. Yeah, maybe yeah. just test that yeah. out yeah. first. But it does empower women to take c- control over that very um, intuitive experience w- with someone who could be should be a trained p- professional with them and with a hospital very cl- nearby.
3: Yeah, yes. big time. What would you suggest, Anna? As, as as women are out there trying to now decide if this is a good yeah, option. Yeah.
10: Well, I felt I felt this time. Um, I I felt like I was led with um not fear. The whole the whole process I was I wasn't um making choices out of fear. I was making them you know more out of of I felt was inspiration and and also knowledge as I um researched and would talk to other um midwives and medical professionals. And in the past I felt sometimes like birth was something to just get through. Yeah. Whereas this time I felt like it was something to experience itself and, oh, interesting. and that yeah. was for me and the baby was, was wonderful. And it was wonderful for my recovery. It was wonderful. Um, I, I feel for the baby. Her,
3: what an amazing her well. feat, really. Um, well, we appreciate you being with us, Anna, and sharing that thank story. God. It's so personal. And Julie, thank you. Thank you for having me back again. This is, I mean, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're we going to be talking about animal husbandry <laughs> at home. You got another topic for us? Taking us a... Open heart surgery at home. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> this is
6: going to be so exciting.
3: Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom we call her. Go to her website, a spoonfulofparenting.com. She's here to help us understand and learn, um, really, how to, how to be the best parents we can. We can, and, and really look at all of our options. That's one of the goals, and, and do it in a very balanced, healthy way. This is the Matt Townsend Show up next. BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We'll find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, it is a little baseball music for you, because we're going to go head down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jeremy, and find out what is coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Hello, Governor. How you doing?
9: Better than yesterday.
3: Really? You feel yeah. better? You yeah. look You looked. You looked chipper today as you walked by and ignored us as we were waving.
9: Oh, Matt, you were waving at me? Oh,
3: we wave every time you walk by, but you only see us about once a month. I
9: apologize. What? Well, let's, yeah. no, let's
1: not push it to two.
3: Okay. <laughs> hey, um, by the way, Jerem, um, I will be having my picture taken right before you. Oh, nice. Yeah. So.
1: Wait, I thought it was lunch. Well, it is. Did you work it in? Yeah. Mm.
3: But I have a feeling it may go over because I've got a lot of stuff I want them to try to take a picture of me with. I have a lot of props.
1: Oh, Okay.
3: Uh, I've got I a whole
1: zero point swi- zero props.
3: Really? Well, you can borrow some of mine. I have a swim ensemble. I have um, I have a whole like three different sports I'm going to play, including cricket. Um, okay. I've got okay, uh, cool. a, a couple of you know uh, workout outfits. A yeah. lot of well, uh, spandex. You always have that on under. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just because I'm very yeah. athletic.
1: Yeah. You know how it is. Yeah.
3: Um, have you it's taken yours? Food. Has, has, has Spencer? did
1: yesterday,
9: right? Absolutely, I did. How did
3: it work? How did it look? It was look? amazing. Did it look hot?
9: Um, I'm going to have to let you decide on that one. Okay, thank you.
3: Thanks for leaving that up
9: to me. Yeah. Yeah, we'll let Matt Townsend be How the could final it not? determinant of that.
3: How could it not? Hey, um, Jeff wanted me to ask you guys a question. today, Tonight, there's a game between the Twins and the Yankees. It's the wild card... Okay. Uh, um, what do we call it? Playoff.
9: It, it, yeah, it's, it's just the American League wild card game.
3: So... Who's going who's gonna to be so wild that they'll win the wild card?
9: The Twins are historically bad in Yankee Stadium. Mm. And I don't think that will change tonight.
3: Oh, so you're going Yankees, of course. Not
9: that I want that to happen. I would love to see the Twins get back into a more lengthy divisional series, but I, they just have been so bad in Yankee Stadium. Darn it.
3: Darn it. I love Twins.
9: So there you go. Sounded do you, creepy. You, do you know why they're called the Minnesota Twins, Matt?
3: Uh, twin Lakes. No. Twin Towers. No. Twin Freeways. Oh, twin so cities. Close. Oh, so twin close.
9: cities. Twin, twin cities. There yeah. you go. I knew it
3: was something like that.
9: And twins, <laughs> Minneapolis and Saint Thomas. Oh, there you go. <laughs> See, look at this. You guys You're learning all sorts. Saint of...
1: Thomas never lived there. <laughs> Come on,
9: running all sorts of uh, non-facts
3: in the Caribbean. Hold it. Um, Talk about uh, BYU or uh, what's what's going to be on your show. Hopefully, you're going to give the key Mm -hmm. for BYU Mm -hmm. to be able to succeed uh, and and and
9: get out of the slump. Well, it's here's the thing. Teeth. Here's the thing. It generally starts with the quarterback, right? Right. Who's going to play quarterback on Friday night in Provo?
1: Can Tanner Mangum play this
9: Friday? Oh, we will discuss.
3: Yes, please, please,
1: please. His name
9: was brought up yesterday. Okay. I said this last week when when I saw his expression on the sideline, I'm like he he is going to try everything he can yeah, yeah. to convince his coaches and himself that he's good enough to play on the field. Who but he has to
1: convince his ankle? Yeah, who he's can't play in, boot, can play in a boot
9: though? You
3: can play in a boot. Well, listen. Uh, I mean, what's the? You know, there,
9: there are the worst a lot thing. of things you can do to temporarily like numb the pain, whatever. But is that the best thing for the program moving well, forward? UYU's
1: not big on numbing pain, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> Truth.
3: Good point. Really yeah, good point. Generally <laughs> speaking. I'd probably have to go to another team to have my pain numbed, effectively.
1: <laughs> go to a couple schools up north. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, good point. Or just what,
1: about any other school. What else is on your anyway. show, guys? Uh, Blaine Fowler is going to join us, uh, a former BYU quarterback, to talk about the quarterback situation. I yes. love that we
9: have like a backup quarterback to talk about all of this scenario because mm-hmm. he's lived a it.
1: Backup, he's lived it. Playing in big games, yeah. Um, and there's a lot to discuss about, uh, particularly the quarterback situation. BYU could have its fourth-string quarterback in a backup situation or even starter this yeah. week. It is it is an interesting time to be a quarterback at Brigham. Yes, can you it handle is. the
9: heat, Matt? Can you handle the heat?
3: I can handle it if we're making marsh... Uh, what do we call those? S'mores, s'mores. All right. Oh, smores.
9: All right. Mm. Anything else we need to be paying attention to? Um Jerem is Kristen Chenoweth's opening act for <gasps> Homecoming. <laughs> really?
1: Fun fact: We are in the uh, Devo slash forum thing today. Really? We have like seven minutes.
9: Wow! Are you coming right. over?
1: So if um, you want to? I don't think it's broadcast today. So, nope. So we can. That means we can say more.
3: That seems dangerous. <laughs> That seems like a big mistake.
1: We have a couple jokes ready to go. Okay. If they don't land, we'll be back on the show tomorrow anyway.
3: You, you're doing the opening act at the devotional. We're
1: not the opening act. We're, we're right after Tom Homo. In fact, Tom Homo's opening up for us, the athletic director.
3: How amazing. Okay. <laughs> this is exciting. Uh, it's been nice working with you guys. Hope, Thanks. hope you have a fun run, hope you not have, a fun run. Hope you still have jobs tomorrow. Um, all right, guys. Knock them dead. BYU Sports Nation straight ahead, folks. Straight ahead. Boy. They're going to be doing the devotional. My
5: mother-in-law is taking all the grandkids to go to Kristen Chenoweth. Is she
3: now? Mm -hmm. We just got invited to go. I haven't even thought of, I mean, what is it? She sings, she dances, she does her Broadway act. I
5: guess. Sings popular. I'm guessing she'll sing popular.
3: But your kids, are are they going to be able to sit there for an hour? Probably not. Because you, you told us earlier that one of them is always singing and one of them is always running. <laughs> well, I should mention only the five-year-old is going. Okay. Yeah. That's good. I mean that's bad for the three-year-old and Stas. Yeah, but he's going to be ticked. He's, don't you hate it when the baby doesn't get these opportunities? Maybe you guys could get a babysitter. I'll, if you want, I'll watch your kids and you two go with her. You just have to bring them up to my neck of the woods. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, we've talked a lot about heroes today on the show, especially heroes from Las Vegas. Uh, There's a hero father that was shot in the neck as he saved 30 people from the Las Vegas shooter. Listen to this. Uh, Jonathan Smith had broken cover from behind a car to tell two young girls to get down when he was struck by a bullet. The 30-year-old is credited with saving as many as 30 lives as gunman Stephen Paddock opened fire on thousands of concert goers uh, from Mandalay Bay Hotel. Mr. Smith now faces the possibility of living with a bullet lodged in his neck for the rest of his life, and his family have set up a GoFundMe page to help pay for medical costs. The, uh, he, he told the Washington Post he initially thought the bangs were fireworks going off, but when he saw the country star Jason Aldean rush from the stage, he told his family to hold hands and run. As the stampede started, Mr. Smith saw some people were so afraid, they didn't know what to do, uh, and so uh, he started to shout out, active shooter, active shooter, let's go, we have to run. He then started to grab people and lead them toward a large field with several rows of vehicles, which was being used as a disabled parking area. There he then helped others hide behind one of the rows of cars as bullets continued to rain down on the hotel guests. He said, I couldn't feel anything in my neck. There was a warm sensation in my arm, he told the Post. But uh, he's, he's been treated and, again, a hero. Uh, Jonathan Smith, you're the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. A lot of heroes came out of Vegas, um, and our prayers are with other families that are still suffering and going through it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next.